This episode of the podcast is brought to you by CBDmedic.com. If you have any aches and pains or if you just have any kind of inflammation or any discomfort in your body at all, please go to CBDmedic.com. They have different sorts of topical oils. They have tinctures that you can use and drop under your tongue. They've got candies. They've got all sorts of different things. They even have sugar-free, which I'm a huge fan of. Basically, what happens to me is I suffer from anxiety, a little bit of mental illness and stuff like that. Plus, I have some aches and pains as I get older, and they have a wide variety at CBDmedic.com of all sorts of things that you can use on your own body for your own wellness inside and outside. It will make you feel fantastic, and I do implore you all to go to CBDmedic.com. And because you're listening to the Voices of Misery podcast, I can offer you 10% off any order doesn't matter if it's a dollar, doesn't matter if it's $10, $100, or $1,000. You're going to want to spend the maximum amount that you can afford in these trying times just because we're all cooped up in the house. We all need something to make us feel better, and CBDmedic.com has the answer for you. Please use our code VOMPODCAST10 to save 10% off your order, and please tell them the nerd sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by none other than Podbean.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been hosting our show here for about a year and a half now. And I do not regret one minute of it. These guys have been treating us great. They give us a platform that we can speak our mind and say whatever we need to say. And it's just a really nice way to just get your voice out there. Lord knows they've been treating us good for a long time. And great friends, listeners of the show, uh, great people at podbean.com. They also have a deal right now where if you use the code VOMPODCAST10, I know how original, right? Just like the previous commercial, VOMPODCAST10. Just spell it out, podbean.com slash VOMPODCAST10 to start your own podcast, and you will get your first five gigabytes of backup free. That's right, five gigabytes free if if you use that code. Otherwise, it's like a couple hours or something like that. You're going to want to rant and talk as much as you can and just get your voice out there. Use the code and start your own show. <sighs> okay, now, today on the episode of the Voices Misery Podcast, I've got Michael Jargo from the Destino Podcast, and you know his voice as well from HackerHameen.Podbean.com. We had about a two and a half hour conversation, and you know, I blame Jargo for me being so drunk by the end of this podcast because I thought we were going to start this thing a couple hours earlier. And I have such a bad memory, you guys know that, where I basically thought we were starting at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, forgetting that he had something he had to take care of, and we moved it to 5 o'clock Eastern Time. So I like to have a nice drink before any show, just to kind of loosen the nerves and stuff like that. And, you know, to make, just just to get loose and relaxed. As well as my CBD medic, I rub that shit off my body. But I had a drink, and it's like 2.30, I'm having a drink, and I'm like starting to get a little buzz. I'm like, yeah, this is some good stuff. And then I, and I message him at like 3 o'clock, and about a half hour goes by. I'm like, yeah, he hasn't messaged back yet. I, I think we're off. And by then I'm on my second drink. I'm like, motherfucker, we could have been a half hour deep in the podcast. And then he messaged me. He's like, dude, remember we changed it to five Eastern time. I'm like, what? And he sends me a screenshot of the conversation we had. I'm like, oh fuck, how'd I forget? So I'm already a drink and a half and, and I got to wait another hour and a half. And I'm like, fuck, I'm already, I'm already, you know, knee, knee deep into the drinking. So I kept on going. And by the time we got on there, I was already feeling like really good. Like our start of the podcast was me being like where I should be at the end of a podcast as far as my alcohol consumption goes. And, uh, yeah, I just kept going and going and going and you hear me just deteriorating throughout the show. And I think you're going to laugh at me being a dumbass, but the pro that Michael is and you know, the semi pro that I think I am sometimes we pulled it through and we had a good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to the voice misery podcast. Here's the show. <laughs> Thank you.
This is the Voices of Misery podcast. This show isn't for the easily offended, so PC Police on Patrol stand by. You've been warned. Now, let's join the nerd and nerdette with another podcast for that ass. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast. I know you guys might be sick of hearing my goddamn voice this week. We've been putting out quite a lot of content, but lucky for you, I have another voice to come on here today, and it's not the nerd Ed. No, she's taking the day off. I bought one of the one of my favorite podcasters from the Hami Media Group. He's a very high-level guy, knows a lot of shit. Uh, he normally talks a lot about wrestling, but we're going to get him out of his comfort zone today and find out what goes on in that crazy head of his. I'm talking about the voice, formerly of the Monday Locker Room, now from the Destino Podcast. I hope I said that correctly. Michael Jargo, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? So the nerd at, she, she's still ducking me. That's what you're telling me. She, she just doesn't like to come on shows with people. I don't know. Like She's worse than I am. Because right before, just to let you guys know here that are listening to the show, Jargo and I have been having like a little bit of a back and forth for about a year now. And finally get this thing going and i was telling them i was like you know i just get in my own head a lot of times when it comes to podcasting and once the mic is on i'm fine but before then i guess my anxiety kind of gets the best of me and i'm like holy shit I'm, i I gotta do this and i'm gonna make sure everything comes out good i'm just a perfectionist but she's worse than i am in that regard mike you know I've, I've had this happen to me and it's typically when i'm interviewing somebody and the worst one was eric bischoff because I got like super in my head as I'm getting ready to interview Eric Bischoff, who's like one of the top two or three reasons that I still watch wrestling, right? Sure. And 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 so we have the opportunity to to sit down with Mr. Bischoff, and I'm super nervous. I write up this really, really well thought out interview. And I finally get on the phone with him, and he's sitting outside of a barn in Wyoming. And the <laughs> wind is blowing profusely. So like three quarters of the interview is just inaudible. Because all you hear is the wind blowing against the microphone. And it's just like, why was I so damn nervous about that? Yeah. And the thing about podcasting, and I equate this to, I don't know if you ever heard of the term runner's high. When after you go for a nice jog, you feel great afterwards. You know, you feel like you could take on the world. I feel the same way after doing certain podcasts. Like I talked to Ben Hameen. Uh, I've, I've had Stevie Richards on and I was a fucking wreck. Cause I'm a legit fan of that guy. You know, I always was growing up. And talking to him, I was like, holy shit, what am I going to do? Oh, my God, like I wanted to cancel because I'm like, I, I got to talk to this guy now, you know? And once it was done, I'm like, holy shit, that came off really well. I just got to get past that stage. And we've only been doing this thing for a little over a year now. So, I mean, it has gotten better. But it's just one of those things, man. Um, but I feel really rude. This is how we do our shows here. How's your week been, buddy? It's been a week, man. I mean... <laughs> It's weird to me because I work third shift and I have a wife and I have three kids. So like my life and like I was social distancing before social distancing was cool. I hear that. Like over the course of a week, I have it down to basically a science to where my weekly encounter is nine people. That's all the people that I see face to face that I actually interact with. That includes the wife the kids, a couple of coworkers, and the guy that works at the gas station. And other than that, I would just rather podcast. 
Like I, I just have no desire to get out and talk to people because let's face it, the world's a freaking mess, dude. You know what, man? And I feel you there because I've been social distancing for 37 years now. If you couldn't tell I'm 37 years old, I just stay the fuck away from people, man. Like I, I just never felt the need to make those personal connections. And it's funny you mentioned that you'd rather be podcasting because it seems like every single person that I've been associated with now and that circle's growing more and more, I feel closer to other people at podcasts than I've ever felt with real people that I can see and touch on a daily basis. And it's strange because it seems like 90% of the podcasters are the biggest introverts. Do you think there's something to that, that we feel more comfortable talking into a mic? It's, it's an interesting case of psychology. And luckily for you, I was a psychology major in college. Oh, and boy. Uh, I, I actually came up like the whole basis for my psychology major was the only way to be social in an anti-society is by being anti-social. And I wrote that in 1998. Very interesting. You know, it's just, we live now even more so than ever. And we've seen it, especially in wrestling Twitter. It's Friday as we sit down here to record this. And wrestling Twitter has been ablaze for like the last two days of professional wrestlers, entire companies just being canceled because of things that were said, you know, in some cases, 10, 15 years ago. We now more than ever live in an anti-society and the only way to be social is by being anti-social where we actually have control, right? Like you and I, we're sitting here, we're having this conversation right now over Skype. And if you piss me off, I can hang up the Skype and then just log out and you're gone. And I never have to talk to you again. And there's a certain element of control inside of that. And I think the, the people that are doing podcasts, it's very rare that I hear an absolute just idiot broadcaster. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel <laughs> like there's a certain level of intelligence. There's a certain level of commitment that goes into producing a podcast. And so, like Ben Hameen always says, the good people always find each other. I agree. And I love the fact that he says that a lot because it makes so much sense. And I've actually stolen it. I use that now in my own personal life when I do talk to people. It's, it's just it's just just like you were saying now how, you know, we can both just hang up anytime we want. I feel the same way when it comes to social media. Like I go on Facebook and a lot of people listen to our show and we get a lot of politic talk and how I hate the COVID-19. I say the numbers are fake and people will sit there and try to argue with me. And the best feeling in the world is when I hit that block button. It feels good. It's like I get a fucking dopamine brush when I get rid of people because I'm not going to sit there and engage with people that I just don't feel like talking to. And that's great. Imagine if you went to the store and some asshole like cuts you off with their cart to get in line before you did. Just imagine if you could just like tap him on the shoulder and he disappears. That's essentially what you can do on social media. It's a good thing and a bad thing. I basically use it now just for promoting a show, putting up a couple of shows, maybe talking to people like you. Uh, Big Ray, Colin Wysong, just and, and just just trying to get guests in general is always a nice thing to use the messenger feature. But other than that, man, I really see no fucking use for it. It's just it makes a lot of sense what you said, though, man. Like, it's just it's just really nice. Like, I'm sitting here in my sweatpants. I work from home now because now I'm considered essential, you know, and it's, it's just a really good thing for someone like me who just doesn't really give a fuck about people. Well, and I think the key word that you said there was dopamine. And I I think there's actually something to that. I mean, regardless of what your drug of choice is, you get that dopamine rush and that's what actually creates addiction, right? So for a couple of years, I've had this theory that we now have outrage addiction. 
And it's very mm-hmm. much like you said, you know, you get that dopamine rush and then you want it again and you want it again and you want it again. And people can't just log out. It's absolutely baffling to me. Like the, the word that I use is poof, right? Like if mm-hmm. you piss me off, poof, you're gone. Just absolutely, completely eliminated from my world. I can block you and I will never see you again. Poof. <laughs> I like that. Poof. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant, man. But you're right, 100%. It's just, if I had to pick between pressing a button that would make everybody extinct and just restart the world, right? I would hit that button so fast your fucking head would spin. I just believe that we are just so far down a path, especially in the year 2020 now, where everything's so political. And I do want to definitely deep dive into that some more in a little bit. It's it's, it's just like, I I feel like we're not even living right now. Like, I feel like we're in a goddamn twilight zone. I wanted to ask you, though, like, how are things in your area now with the lockdowns and all that stuff? Are you guys pretty much back to normal? We we never really changed, man. It's Iowa. Like I I live in fucking Iowa, right? Like farmers are the very definition of social distancing, not because they necessarily give a shit about your shit. It's that they're too fucking busy to worry about your shit. They're Mm -hmm. out there in their, in the goddamn combines They're in the tractors, like a buddy of mine, Otto, right? He runs a fucking hog farm up in like North Eastern Iowa, like Southwest Wisconsin. Yeah. And he's got like, you know, 150 hogs. You think he gives a shit about what's going on in Atlanta right now? No. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. Now, how would you have handled the lockdowns? Let's say Michael Jargo is the president of the United States, and you've got these crazy Democrats telling you you have to lock down. You ha- and, and, and they're really tightening the screws on you. All these deaths are going to be on your hands. You've got some little Italian fuck named Fauci in your ear flip-flopping every other day telling you something's going to happen and it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. How would you have handled this? Would would you, and I know we're playing Monday morning quarterback here, would you have said, you know what, we can't afford to shut down where people are going to lose their livelihoods, which is something that they were kind of speculating in the beginning, but they went ahead and locked us down for fucking months. How would you handle this? The reality is it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I, no matter what you did, if you shut the country down or if you left the country open, half of the country is going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. No matter what Trump would have done, no matter what Congress would have done, it wouldn't have mattered. At least half of the country was going to be pissed off. Now, in saying that, I look at how Japan handled things versus how the United States handled things. And Japan had a bit of a setback. Like originally, they had locked everything down. And then they were like, okay, well, that seemed like it worked. And so they opened everything back up. And within about two weeks, they were right back to square one. And then they locked everything down with a state of emergency. They, they can't actually restrict people to being at home in Japan because it's against their constitution going back to World War II and the bombs being dropped. There's a serious mistrust between the Japanese people and the Japanese government, and rightfully so, I think we can say yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. So it's actually illegal for them to lock down the entire country. But what they can do is they issued a state of emergency and encourage people to stay home. Now, most of the businesses agreed and they locked everything down. They Mm -hmm. now have lifted the state of emergency and are opening things back up very, very slowly. But what seems like much more rapidly than here in the United States, which there's good fucking reason for that too, because 
if you look, we're a little bit bigger than what most of these countries are. What works in Maryland doesn't work in Iowa, doesn't work in South Carolina. Like, it's absolutely crazy. Like, where I work, we have a bunch of dumbasses in Baltimore making decisions about when people in Cedar Rapids can return to work. Jesus Christ. And it's like, it's not the same thing. You're, you're, you're talking about apples and oranges. And this is the problem when you have mass media, right? Because it's not just when can we return to work. Now it has gotten to where producers, news producers for like, you know, your 12 o'clock news, your six o'clock news producers. All they do is they go to the corporate website. They download what corporate tells them to run and then they run it. So there is no more local news. There's like five companies that control all media inside of the United States. And they're just having a freaking field day because the more chaos that the media can cause, the better their ratings are because, and people don't believe me when I say this, but if you think about it for about two seconds, it makes sense. Nobody wants to hear good fucking news. You're right. when, When you have good news, you have a beginning of the story, you have the middle of the story, you have the end of the story, and that's it. That's all there is to the story. Bad news, you can recycle that shit for weeks. I mean, nobody really gives a shit about good news. And that's the problem. And you're 1000% correct is if something happy happens, you talk about it once and it's over, but something bad, Oh, a pandemic, we can drag this shit out for months. And if you've noticed the pandemic, the, and I use that term very loosely because I don't believe in this COVID-19 being as deadly as they're saying. Um, and the numbers do support it. I mean, what 0.4% of people under the age of 60 die from it. And the numbers have spiked just a little bit, the older you get, it's not this fucking death wish that people are taking it to be. It's, it's just insane. But still, man, just like, it's just fucking A, man. News is just so bad. And if you notice, though, the COVID thing did disappear while they were talking about the riots. But all of a sudden, it's okay. to. I mean, hey, you can protest as much as you want, but please don't go to church. And I am not a church guy. I don't believe in God. I don't disbelieve. I'm an agnostic. But still, I mean, I believe that people should have the right to worship if that's what they want to do. So you're, you're telling me that what what's the most a fucking church can hold your average church like 40 people 50 people maybe well, 100 you say that but i mean like go look at some of these mega churches in freaking dallas man i mean they're drawing they're drawing more people than the freaking mavericks are <laughs> yeah yeah you're right about that and those mega churches are the ones i have the biggest problem with but that's a story for another day man i mean these fucking mega churches the the goddamn pastors of those churches make more money than a scrub in the NBA makes a year. Tax it's, free. It's, That's yeah, exactly. the key. Tax free. Exactly. It's fucking. The Catholic free. Church is like a seven billion dollar a year business. Tax free. Dude, I was looking at some of the local uh, rates here in, in in South Carolina. If you're a, in the parish, if you're a bishop, whatever, hundred forty thousand dollars a year for what? You're 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 basically reading a story. That was written by by many different men many years ago. That's all you're doing. You're you're basically selling an ideology to people. It, it, it's so unfair. It really is that these fucking schmucks can make all this money just telling stories that were written by people high on mushrooms many years ago. It just it, it it's fucking beyond me, dude. I, I just oh my god, I fucking hate the religion. You're a very smart guy. You're not religious, are you? I hope I'm not offending. Um, I. I, I don't consider myself religious. I've been a practicing Wiccan for basically half my life at this point. Oh, um, right. But but that goes back to myself and the church, capital C, 
had a, a bit of a fallout many, many years ago. But that's like a, a three-hour podcast all in itself, right? But so a- after I was asked to leave the church, I kind of thought like, well, th- this is bullshit. Th- th- this has got to be complete and utter bullshit. And so I started kind of looking around because I, I consider myself a very spiritual person. And so I read a lot of different books and I studied a lot of different religions until I came across paganism, modern day Wicca. And it was just like, yep, that clicks with me. Going with that. I had a Mormon on the show not too long ago. She's a very good listener of the show, um, Bonnie Renee. And we talk about Mormonism and I really do get behind that idea. And the reason why I got behind that is because there's redemption. And that's something you don't get with Christianity. I was raised as a strict Christian. My dad, God bless his soul, rest in peace, dad. Um, he he had me read the Bible when I was a kid. I read the picture Bible, then I read the real Bible, uh, the King James Version. And I read it, and I, I was afraid as a kid all the time. I was always second-guessing everything I did in life. If I, if I swore in, in, in private, I was like, oh, my God, God can hear me. Oh, my God. And I was afraid. And I and I told myself when I got a little bit older and I could understand and think for myself, I'm I'm tired of living in fear. So I dropped the Bible, I dropped God, I just dropped religion, and my life got exponentially better because I wasn't second guessing everything. Sure, I didn't turn into an asshole. I mean, that's arguable. Some people think I'm an asshole, but I'm not. I, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. But I just basically chose to live my life by a set of rules of just treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And voila, everything got better. I don't have Har- this magic man in the sky. Harm ye none, lest ye be harmed. I like it, man. But tell I me mean, more about the Wiccan thing. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Is number one, I'm, I'm very, very personal about my religious beliefs. But when it comes to modern day paganism, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And because mostly because there are so many different ways that you can conduct your own religion. I mean, because at the, at the end of the day, we are our own gods. That's, you know, when you really, really think about it, it makes the most sense at the end of the day, we are our own gods. Is there a connection that we have to this planet? Absolutely. There are things that happen that one cannot logically explain no matter how much text you read, like dreams is one of them where it's just like, I, nobody can explain this, why this happens, this, this phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. At least not to a satisfactory answer. The I feel like it's interesting. I, I feel like modern day paganism is a connection between yourself and the earth. Okay. And you are your own God. You control your own destiny. We have free will. But there are things that happen that are just inexplicable. Now, the whole paganism thing is something that I know nothing about. When I think of pagans, I think of witchcraft. I think of, you know, burning witches. Oh, you're a witch. Burn them. Like, I think about, because I'm very naive. I've, I've never deep dived into this. And I deep dive into a lot of shit. I barely sleep at night. So I'm probably going to be going down that rabbit hole tonight. So thank you for that, by the way, putting this idea in my head. Yeah, but, enjoy uh, the Salem witch trials. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> like, what is it exactly about? Is is there a god? Is there a devil? What is it like? What is the afterlife like? Like, what is it all about, basically? Is it about witchcraft and saying spells? and Because, like, that's because, like I said, I'm naive. I don't know this stuff. It, it depends. 
I mean, is that information out there? Absolutely. Does it work? Yeah. You know, it's one of those, does it work? Well, if the universe wants it to. Well, so, you know, it's basically the same thing as, you know, my grandpa used to say, you know, you can want in one hand and piss in the other, and all you're going to end up with is one wet hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. You know what I mean? Uh, grandparents are really good for that kind of shit, too, by the way. Oh, man, grandpa-isms are like half of what comes out of my mouth on a daily basis. You think I'm vulgar? You should have heard that, man. Holy shit. He'd get pissed off watching, like, the Little League World Series on fucking ESPN2. <laughs> you know, like, some little kid had hit the ball, and he'd be like, run, you son of a bitch! <laughs> you know? He didn't give a fuck. I can't imagine what cancel culture would have done to fucking grandpa, you know? Like, oh, Archie Bunker was, like, his fucking television hero. <laughs> Oh, we're definitely going to get into cancel culture, my friend. We got a lot of shit to talk about here. But you did mention dreams, and dreams are something that I've I've, I've always equated death to a a, a line from a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Uh, I think it was part five, right before the movie started. Uh, that was Freddy's Dead, I think it was. There was a quote that said, "Dreams and sleep, those little slices of death. Oh, how I adore thee." And that's what I think death is like. I I really do think when you die you, it's just over like you are done it's kind of like sleep i think that's our preparation for death because that's what it is you fall asleep and you never wake up but dreams are, are, are really strange and I've, I've always wanted to do a podcast with someone that is like an expert in dreams because i always thought that would be an interesting topic to talk about because no one does understand it is it just your psyche thinking about things that you've always wanted to happen is it something that you might have done in a past life. It's just, there's so much to talk about here with dreams. And for instance, like I had one the other day that was a continuation of a dream that I remember vividly that I had when I was a kid about the end of the world. And I remember feeling and like basically what happened, there was like a flash of white light. Everyone was burning. You hear screaming flesh being ripped off of people. It was just like a solar flare or whatever the fuck it was. And of course I survived it because I'm the star of the dream. I'm, I'm me and I'm dreaming. And I'm walking around, there's like fucking blood and guts all over the place. And I'm walking across buildings and rubble and shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I don't think they're a key to the future or your own personal truth, the way you see it. I don't know what the fuck they are. What do you think they are, man? Like, they're just interesting little movies that play in your head at night. It's interesting that you use the word movies. Um, and, and when it comes to dreams, I try to ask people like random questions about their dreams. Like, what were you wearing? Ooh. Was there anybody else around? What time period is it set in? You know, because like we, we can remember all these details about dreams, right? But nobody remembers the most basic things. Did you dream in first person or did you dream in third person? Because I've dreamed in both. For one reason or another, when I dream, I dream in black and white. Nothing is in color. <laughs> See, there's something to that. I, I, I bet. I bet there's some expert that could break that down. It, it's interesting how we remember, like you know, all these specific details of what happened in our dreams, but we don't remember the most basic of things. That 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 that's the thing that interests me about the dream world. It's fucking crazy. You dream so, like for instance, like I speak two languages, so I speak Spanish and English, right? Okay. I've had dreams where my wife, who doesn't speak a lick of it will speak to me in perfect Spanish. It's so strange. And like, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, that was fucking weird. Like 
I just don't understand like why your brain just wanders at night. And sometimes you remember them. Sometimes you don't. Do you dream every single night? Because I only remember maybe one every couple of weeks. And I don't know if that's a thing that happens every night or maybe once in a while your brain just keeps going. Maybe you're not getting that REM sleep that they're talking about so much where that's like the deep sleep where you're actually resting. Maybe that's when your dreams only occur. Maybe if you're dreaming, you're actually getting a good night's sleep. If you're not dreaming, maybe you're not getting that good night's sleep. Sometimes they're lucid. Have you ever had a lucid dream where you were like you were in control? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever have you ever had a dream that you woke up and you tried to go back to you and you actually got there? A couple of times, yeah, I, I did. I was dreaming about Streets of Rage 2 one night. Did you ever play that game on uh, Sega Genesis? Oh, yeah. I was basically walking down the street, like, the music's playing, I'm fighting people in the street. I, I, I don't know why, maybe because I was playing the fucking game or some shit, I, I don't know. And then I, I woke up, and it was, like, level five, and I'm like, fuck, that was a cool dream. I felt badass, you know, I was beating people's asses. I went back to sleep, thing, and I fucking started off where I left off. It was pretty good shit, man. Nice, you got the continue button. I got the continue. I didn't get to the final boss, though. It was only maybe about a half hour more, and that was it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Fucking dreams, dude. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just really strange, but I, I, I do think that would be a good topic. But I do want to kind of take a step back here because we were talking about the COVID-19, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this because they shut us down, just basically expected us all to just be fine with it, which was okay. I was good with locking down for two weeks until we figured out this whole thing, flattening the curve, all those fucking buzzwords that you hear on TV. But now I'm sitting there and I'm pretty plugged into this stuff. I've read all the articles. We talk about it a lot in the Voices of Misery podcast. All the rules now and just for reopening. We all, we have to do it in phases. But you motherfuckers shut us down at a whim. You didn't shut us down in stages so we can actually prepare for this. No, you just shut us down. We all lost our jobs. I lost my job. Got a new one, fortunately, uh, a couple of weeks ago. But there has been this article about people reopening pools, like public pools. And you would think that would be one of the safest places because chlorine kills pretty much everything, right? They have a rule where you can't do a fucking broad stroke in the pool. You have to maintain six feet. Why Why not seven? Why not five? Why not eight? Why not nine? Who knows? You there, The list of rules, there's like a 180-page fucking handbook on how to go to the pool now. Do you think this is a mass control trial by the government to see how far they can push us how much they can control us because we all kind of did this shit willingly no one pushed back on lockdowns in the beginning now you know as the goalposts got moved of course people were fighting against it do you think that's a trial or, or for or things to come or what you know it's it's funny because we said that we weren't going to talk about wrestling on this show right but we the way, a little bit. well but it, the reason i bring that up is because I can equate everything into the world of professional wrestling, I feel like, right? And mm -hmm. there's this saying inside of wrestling, you know, that you're going to, you know, work yourself into a shoot. Mm -hmm. I think this has been the opposite of it. I think we've shot ourselves into a work. Like, I, I don't doubt for one second that, you know, COVID-19 is out there. I don't doubt for one second that COVID-19 is an awful, awful thing that have cost us, you know, tens of thousands of lives. But if we can use COVID-19 as an excuse to get this done, this done, this done, and this done, then the government has 
absolutely doing that as much as they possibly fucking can. I really feel like this whole thing's political, man. Like it's it's just every four years, it seems like there's something huge that happens in the world, and right. we are and they hate Trump so much, and I hated Trump for the first couple of years, and then I'm like, you know what? He's not that bad. He's done more for my family personally than any president has ever done in my entire lifetime. And I feel like things are better. I like I I am not a people person, but I like to see people do well. I feel like being in lockdown for so long has made me a better person only because I feel more compassion for others when it comes to people losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods, their houses. And the job that I work right now is basically answering the phone for people that are on unemployment that have this uh, bank card that they get a balance on. And I hear stories every day of people struggling. They're like, oh, I had a business. Now I'm in unemployment. I have to get food stamps. And it wasn't my choice. And I'm like, you know what? I feel for these people, man. And I like people doing well. Trump's provided a lot of jobs for people and things were going great. I feel like the Democrats just fucking use this COVID thing to push all their own bullshit out there. And, oh, wow, we got a $1,200 check. Great. I mean, it, it's been three months. Do they really think $1,200 is going to fucking help? Do they think giving people an extra $600 a week in unemployment is going to make them want to go back to work when the average waitress makes $3 an hour plus maybe $20 extra in tips, depending on how busy they are? I mean, fucking hey, dude, they this whole thing was mishandled. And I fucking I, at one point, I really wanted to leave the country. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, I'm fucking sick of being an American now because we lost our freedoms. Well, well, here's one of the things that we have to acknowledge, all right, when, when it comes to the way that this entire thing has been handled. Originally, Trump wanted to shut things down at the end of January, and he was called a racist for doing it, mm-hmm. and, and Congress was too obsessed with the phony impeachment to actually pay attention to what in the hell is going on. That's the first thing, right? Like... People can blame Trump for everything that he's done, everything that he hasn't done. The problem with Trump is Trump's an asshole. Like people just, they genuinely dislike Donald Trump. They don't give a shit about his policy. Like it's a fascinating experiment to go out there and read like some of the words that Barack Obama said, but without giving them context to people. And they're just like, oh yeah, I can't believe Trump said that. And it's like, well, actually that was Obama. That, that one wasn't Trump, <laughs> yep. you know, or, or you read them in economic policy and people are like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. The Democrats must have came up with that. No, nope, that was Trump. Mm-hmm. But the reality is Trump is a fucking asshole and people just genuinely dislike Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And so they counter with Joe fucking Biden. <laughs> like, Really? This is how uh, Trump gets reelected. You, you no. mean to tell you, like 328 million people in this fucking country. And the best thing that the left can come up with is Joe fucking Biden. Are you shitting me right now? This is why you lost in 2016. <laughs> it wasn't because people liked Trump. It was that fuck Hillary Clinton. Like mm-hmm. you put up the single worst presidential candidate in history and she lost to Donald fucking Trump. I'll tell you what, man, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. And and I had a, a like a three and a half hour fucking podcast with Bello where we just kind of went in on fucking politics, dude. And we both come to the same conclusion every single time. It's like, dude, why does it always have to be a 70 year old plus white male running for president? 
I know they tried the experiment with Hillary a couple of times. It just didn't pan out because she just sucks. No one likes the bitch. I mean, she's just a horrible human being. We can go into that as well if you'd like. But still, I mean, it's, it's, it's just there's so many weird things going on right now in politics. Like they have so many rules in place that you have to be a certain age or else you can't run for president. There's some people out there, I think, that could probably do the job really well. And there's a couple of podcasters that I listen to because I would say about 97 percent of my podcasts are political. And I hear some of the ideas these guys throw forth and they're just better than, you know, what the fuck the people out there are saying. And there's just so much pandering going on right now. Did you see, by the way, just to throw this out there? The Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, and them posed for this picture wearing Kunta Kente fucking scarves. Did you see that shit? I was just happy to see people actually call it out as the pandering that it it rightfully was. And I mean, here's the reality. They're they're scared to fucking death that they're going to lose the black vote with Joe Biden as, as the top of the fucking ticket. Because when you go back to that crime bill... That's what put a lot of people in fucking jail, a lot of African-Americans in jail. Hillary Clinton, for God's sake, her mentor was David Duke, who was the head of the fucking Ku Klux Klan. You know, like the, the Democrats know that they are skating on thin ice right now and they are pandering in whatever ways they possibly can to the African-American people. And I was just happy to see people realize it for what it was and call it out on its bullshit. The whole Black Lives Matter thing I have a huge problem with, and it's not anything against the movement because I do appreciate the fact that we're finally shining a light on the injustices in America, so I'm not going to bash that at all. But I do feel like this does cause more division in the long term because, hey, if I was a white guy, and, and, and I'm Hispanic, I got no horse in the race here at all. But if I'm a white guy, I'm like, wait, we're not all bad. Why are you bashing white people? You got white people telling white people they're horrible human beings. And the Black Lives Matter is basically run by white people. There was a video I just saw today of some random dude saying that the Black Lives Matter sign that this coffee shop had was was upsetting him. He had a cell phone out. He's recording that person. The person he's yelling at, who was a barista, had her phone out. She's recording him. And some third party posted a video who was recording both of them recording each other about how Black Lives Matter is good and bad. And they're all white. I'm like, what the fuck? Maybe sit this one out. Let like let the black people sort this out for themselves and talk about their own injustices. It's weird, isn't it? Kill all the white people. No. I mean, good God. No, I, I love white. It's it, it's it, don't say that. <laughs> Voices of misery get answered added to the cancel list. No, it, it, it's crazy, man, because nothing offends white people more than human rights violations that white people committed. You know, it's just. <laughs> It's absolutely absurd. My my problem with Black Lives Matter is the company as a whole. Because when you go back and you actually look at the funding for Black Lives Matter, you, all that money gets traced back to George Soros. Like, no, no matter how you slice it, it all mm-hmm. gets tracked back to George Soros. Whether it's the DNC, whether it's Black Lives Matter, it, basically every bad thing that happens inside of the world that's not North Korea or China is at the hands of fucking George Soros. At the end of the day, that's trace it all back to George Soros. What horse does he have in the race? Because I saw a lot of these protesters and what they were doing. And I'm sure that because, because you're pretty plugged into this stuff. So you, you, you know this already that they were like fucking piles and piles of bricks being delivered to these protesting stations hours before the protests were going to be taking place. 
And people were saying it was George Soros's money that was supplying these bricks. Don't you think that's a little strange to be giving protesters bricks and just supplying them with these things if you don't want to see them? Because that's like letting all the prisoners out in California. And as they walk out the prison gates, there are tables and tables of guns and ammunition there. It's, it's begging for something bad to happen. What do they have to gain by horrible things happening? What do you think? You're begging for something bad to happen. Exactly. That, at the end of the day, that's exactly what they want. I mean, George Soros is worth like $8 billion. Mm. Okay. So if George Soros wants to buy, you know, like these five square miles inside of Minneapolis, but we need to get rid of all these business owners so that I can go in and I can buy up this residential property at pennies on the dollar and convert it into commercial property and then sell off said commercial property at a massive profit. How do we get these damn business owners out of here? Oh, well, they're, they're having riots in the streets in Minneapolis. Okay. Just deliver like, you know, three pallets of bricks. It's fucking ridiculous. Dude. It is fucking ridiculous. But it's just like the, when, when the WWF bought WCW, right? There's this mm-hmm. narrative out there that Vince McMahon put WCW out of business. And it's just absolute bullshit. What put WCW out of business was fucking thunder. When they added thunder, all it did was cut into the profits that WCW didn't already have. They were agreed to sell off the damn thing to Eric Bischoff and company, but then they pulled the TV time slot. And without the TV time slot, the company was worth absolutely nothing. So Vince McMahon went in and he bought WCW because all he bought was the tape library and he bought it for pennies on the dollar. That's how billionaires become billionaires and multi-billionaires. Can you imagine the money that he made? He only spent like, what 2.7 million or some weird it was less than three million dollars i'm pretty sure that he spent on that shit just the tape library alone was at least worth 10 times more yep that's a smart fucking move right there man it really is dude well i mean like if you listen to bruce pritchard vince mcmahon had the idea for the wwe network in like the early 90s so like he recognized the value of buying up all those tape libraries and when you look at the wwe network like, it's absolutely incredible the amount of content that's on there. Oh, yeah. Well, we were actually a member of the network for quite a while, and uh, we we don't watch wrestling much, uh, very little. Um, the other night it was on in the background when we were just kind of hanging out and doing our thing. And as bad as a product is, you got to appreciate the fact that Vince McMahon's a fucking genius, man. Like, this guy took something so stupid as as a fake fighting and became this global phenomenon and they make more money supposedly now with less audience than they've ever done before, which doesn't compute to me because back in the day when Vince Russo was writing and we, we love Vince here at Voices Misery. He gave us a nice interview and he was a hell of a guy. Uh, that was the last time I really watched wrestling religiously was back in the attitude era. I felt like they should have made more money then than now. How the hell did they? Did Television. They make- it's, it's all television rights. Like 65% of the WWE yearly income now comes from television rights from Fox and NBC universal. I mean, right there, you're talking $2 billion. So the ratings being low, people are paying more for low ratings than they would have paid back in the day for high ratings. I mean, like they were hitting yes. like eight, nine 
Well, well, the, here's the difference. I mean, yeah. number one, the the advancement of television technology has changed when when you get into all the streaming services and whatnot. But I think what people fail to realize is when you go back into like the Monday Night War era, how many channels did you have on cable? Like maybe 50? Yeah. And yeah. now you have like 300 channels at your beck and call, whatever you want to watch. Content itself now is at a high premium because even if you can draw 2 million viewers, like WWE's ratings are in the toilet. They still had three of the top seven shows on Monday night. Because Raw is broken into three hours. It's actually recognized as three different shows. They had three of the top seven shows on cable, on all of cable. Now, I blame DVR a lot because it makes it so easy to watch TV in these bite-sized moments. But DVR is now counted because it's it's not only live viewership that they count. All right. It, they have live and same night viewership. And then they also track a plus three number and they also track a plus seven number for people that go back and watch it on DVR. Obviously, the, the big money is in live and same night viewership. But the thing is, while you have the ability on DVR to fast forward through commercials, how often do you? How often do you really? Yeah, I can see that. My wife fast forwards everything um, on DVR, but now we have this setup where it's like a streaming service. So it's streaming TV, it's uh, through Spectrum, and you can't fast forward the commercials anymore, which fucking pisses her off. But I mean, wrestling's weird, and not just wrestling, TV in general is weird because we tried to watch the other night just because, like, we listened to everything on hackerhamin.podbean.com religiously. And we get all our wrestling news from you guys. Like, that's why I don't give a shit about watching it, because I'd rather listen to a review from entertaining people than watch the shit, because it sucks. Um, We did watch out of curiosity to see how it would be without a crowd. And, man, it's fucking brutal, dude. I I just don't know. And God bless you for lasting as long as you did, because it's fucking tough to watch wrestling, because I feel like wrestling is 90% crowd 10% performers, you need that reaction, man. You need people cheering, you need them chanting, even if it's that fucking what chant, even if it's Wrestle Forever or whatever dumb shit these people are saying now. You need that energy, and I'm sure as a performer, uh, it must be so much harder to do your goddamn job now. Have you watched any of the UFC when they're doing their shows without a crowd? I have. I watch UFC all the time, and I think it works better for UFC than it does WWE because I feel like WWE people need the crowd because when, like, Hulk Hogan is wrestling or, like, those guys who feed off the crowd, like, like when Hulk Hogan does his Hulk up thing and the crowd's cheering, like, the storyline back then, I guess, was, like, the crowd energized him. Now there's no crowds. And you see these assholes playing to the crowd, which I think is hilarious. They're, like, pointing to nothing. And you know there's no crowd there. It, it just looks weird to me. I, I don't know. But UFC's good. Well, it, number one, you need to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling because New Japan Pro Wrestling is presented much more like UFC than anything the WWE is doing. But that that's a whole other topic. Um, for me, when it comes to the Western style of sports entertainment and what we now know as professional wrestling, I think of it as much closer to stand-up comedy or magic. And neither would work 
without an audience. I mean, we see it like with Stephen Colbert. We see it with Ellen DeGeneres, all these talk shows with these people that are supposedly funny. Now, all of a sudden that they're doing their shows from home, people are recognizing how awful they actually are. <laughs> yep. Because there's, there, there's not the laugh track there. There's, there. there's nobody there to laugh at the awful jokes. And so you just realize that they're awful jokes, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much where I feel like AEW and WWE is like, yeah, they absolutely need the crowd because that's what they've educated fans to look for. And like, you know, the 10 minute promo where somebody comes out at the beginning of the show and they stand there and they talk for 10 fucking minutes. You know, to me, that's one of the biggest problems with professional wrestling. When I tune into a wrestling show, I want to see people wrestle. Like when I tune into the NFL, you know what they don't do in the middle of the second quarter? Stop the football game so Aaron Rodgers can go out to midfield and cut a promo for 10 fucking minutes. It's just absolutely fucking retarded. You know, it, it just it makes no logical fucking sense. And, and when I heard AEW is talking about, oh, we're going to have a more sports like presentation. And I was like, oh, so you're, you're going to do what New Japan does. Because that's what New Japan has. It's, it's much closer to the UFC as far as presentation goes than mm-hmm. what we're seeing out of the West. And I just, I feel like the professional wrestling doesn't work because just like a stand-up comic, you have to have the audience to react. That's the way the entire program is formatted. But the key there is it's a program. So why are they coming out and why are they pandering to fans that aren't there? Because 65% of their revenue comes from television and the people that are actually watching the show. That's who they're actually pandering to. I would love to have a wrestler just come out there and pretend they were fans and just like slap invisible hands as they're walking down the aisle. I mean, to me, that would just make me laugh. But Didn't I... R-Truth do that gimmick like 10 years ago? <laughs> Did he really? Little Jimmy, did you ever hear about oh, Little that's Jimmy? Right, that's right, Little Jimmy. I remember that. Fuck. <laughs> that was... <laughs> but still, man, like I know Billy Ray Valentine. He listens to the show. Big props to Billy Ray Valentine, the conspiracy man himself. I feel like we're going into this world now, and I was never a conspiracy guy. But man, like I really feel like everything that's going on right now is a part of something bigger that we just don't know yet. I feel like we're watching a movie that the ending hasn't been written yet by these people out there that know exactly where this thing is going to go. In all honesty, if I had to guess, I would think everything's going to be back to normal right the day after the election. They're going to forget about COVID-19 because we live with AIDS. Are I don't you know kidding if- me? Huh? Yeah, no, I think so, man. You, you, you think that when Donald Trump gets reelected in November, <laughs> that the day after everything's going to go back to normal? I really think so. I, I mean, they're going to keep trying impeachment. They're, they're going to keep maybe citing the deaths of COVID, which I really feel is a lot less than what they're saying. I feel like we're going to get back to a normal for a little bit, at least. They're going to try other tactics to get him out of there, but it's not going to work. I mean, what we really have to do, and I hate telling people how to vote, vote red the whole way. Get rid of these fucking Democrats, at least until the new batch. Let the old batch die off. Let the new ones come in, but the new ones are progressive, so maybe not vote them in. Maybe wait till a batch after these progressive fucks because they're just the worst. But I do want to ask you this question here, man, because like we just got off of wrestling a little bit here. Um, sports is coming back, and we have MLB is going to play like a sixty game thing. No, they're not. Uh, no, they're you not. Think so? You think so? I don't think. Happen? I don't think there's going to be a baseball season. Really? No. Because of the money situation or COVID? Yes. <laughs> um this is this is one of those where we've shot ourselves into a work 
Um, it, the reality of the baseball situation is the the collective bargaining agreement for Major League Baseball expires at the end of next season. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically we've already started negotiations for the new CBA because the owners want things in place before next season starts. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to this entire COVID situation, the entire money situation, what's actually going on is both sides, whether it be the players union and the players association or the group of owners both are basically trying to get leverage inside of the situation to where the owners are pitching absolutely terrible deals to the players, basically saying that, you know, we'll give you 20 cents on the dollar and we're going to go out and we want to play 140 games and you have to quarantine yourself from the family for four months. You're not allowed to see anybody. That was the original pitch to the players. And the players were like, um, how about fuck you and uh, you pay us our full salaries and we'll play 60 games. And the owners were like, um, no, how about fuck you? And basically what they're doing is when the owners made that original pitch, they knew the players were going to reject it. But they're positioning themselves inside of the court of public opinion to where they can say, hey, we tried we, mm-hmm. we, we sent a proposal to the players. We tried to get things worked out. It's those greedy players. And they're trying to get the public opinion on their side. There's a very similar parallel to what you just said as to what there is right now with the second stimulus package. The Democrats threw out, oh, we're going to give everyone $2,000 now. Each for like, so like you, your wife, your kids would each get $2,000. And they also snuck in a lot of other weird, sneaky shit. And the Senate was like, no, we can't let this happen because you're asking for way too much. We're not going to extend unemployment benefits until January because no one's going to want to work. So they shut it down. But the Democrats can always say, hey, we threw this out there. But I want to ask you, man, because like you're a big sports guy and I fucking miss that podcast you did with Stevie Richards, the, the NFL one. Very good stuff. Very high level conversations. I enjoyed it every week. But can you watch sports? Because we just talked about wrestling and how weird that is with no crowd. I mean, it's fucking weird to me. Can you watch sports without a crowd? How is it going to be? And I know you're a big Bulls guy because because the running of the Bulls uh, show you did with uh, Rick Vickery. Can you imagine game six, the NBA finals back in 1998? Jordan did the not so push off, push off on Byron Russell and shot the ball. Can you imagine no crowd cheering for that or, 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 or booing it? Cause it was in Utah, I believe. Can you imagine no sound or just basically like hearing all the grunts and, and the sneakers, you know, uh, making that squeaky sound on the ground. That's all you're going to hear. The coach is calling out plays. Crowds are so fucking important and it makes you appreciate crowds more now that they're not there. Are sports going to be the same for you? Or are you going to feel a little weird and turned off by it? How are you going to enjoy it? It's interesting because I I don't know that anybody necessarily has the answer until we see it in application, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially with the NBA, because the NBA for a master control operator, which is what I do, would be an absolute freaking nightmare. I I tell you one thing, you better have a seven second delay. Oh, yeah. 
you, you have to accentuate the positives when there's not a crowd. Like we, we saw that, that golf tournament thing, right. With Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and, and a couple of famous golfers, uh, Charles Barkley was there. And, and one of the big key things that actually made that a draw and it did really well. It had like 6 million viewers, right. For freaking mm-hmm. golf. Yeah. But they had they had everybody mic'd up. You could hear all the trash talk. Suddenly, golfers actually had a personality, which is why nobody watches golf, right? Like happy if yep. if Happy Gilmore actually happened, maybe people would tune in to watch golf. But it's the most boring game on the face of the planet to watch, other than maybe bowling. I think we should just actually switch the balls, and things would be much more entertaining. But that's what they're going to have to do. Like, you're going to have to, I, I want to hear LeBron James talking trash to Russell Westbrook. You know, like, I, I think if you're going to do the that kind of presentation, you have to find ways to accentuate the positives of the game just with a seven second delay. Because I, I, I don't think that some of the trash talk that goes on on an NBA court is uh, necessarily going to fly on national television. I just think it's going to be weird, man. Like, I'm, I'm a huge Giants fan. I'm from New Jersey. And, I mean, my Giants probably aren't going to be much better next year, even though I do fucking love Daniel Jones' upside. I think he's going to be Any dimes! Dude, he's going to be fucking good, man. As long as he stops fumbling, I, I think he'll be fine. I love his mobility. I love his intelligence in the field. He just has to hold on to the ball. And these are very correctable mistakes with that, man. I, I think the Giants are going to be a force in the future as long as Barkley can stay healthy. I think the Giants are going to be just fine. I see a Super Bowl within five years with this team. I'm just being optimistic here, uh, maybe talking with my heart. I don't know if you got that big of a window. (laughs) Really? What? Well, because I I feel like once those rookie contracts come due and you've Mm -hmm. got to pay Daniel Jones and you have to pay Saquon Barkley, I have a feeling Saquon Barkley leaves New York. Yeah, I, I I feel the same way, and I didn't love that pick, even though I love him as a player. I felt like we should have gone quarterback sooner. Um, the thing about Saquon Barkley is he's so good. He's such a fucking stud out there, but we we don't have the line to protect him. I mean, this guy got hurt because we. I mean, he was taking a lot of hits, and well, he, he I, was the offense. Look, look what happened to the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, as soon as they paid Todd Gurley. I mean, mm-hmm. that money's got to come from somewhere. And so yep. suddenly, you know, you, you lose a left guard and then, you know, in, in the next off season, rather than, you know, re-signing that center that's been with, you know, the, the quarterback for the last five years, we're going to bring in a rookie and, and move off of him, save a little bit of salary there. You know, and you just can't pay the other positions. It's one of the big things that's going on in Dallas right now and why Jerry Jones doesn't want to pay Dak Prescott. I mean, why the fuck would you want to pay a running back? In all honesty, running backs have the shortest shelf life, I think, of any position in the NFL. You might have three to four good years, and you're done. I mean, you take such a beating, such a pounding. You don't really have that long career. So I understand these guys wanting to get paid because they understand, like, hey, my my window isn't that big because I could get hurt. I get hit a lot. I, I run the ball 30 to 40 times a game in, in some situations. Some guys have to hold the ball that much. They're, are either that or they're blocking. So you're either hitting someone or being hit. All the time. And that's pretty much every NFL player. But running backs take the brunt of the hits. So I don't blame them. And the Giants, I mean, as much as I love Saquon Barkley, they got his jersey hanging up in the closet right now. Maybe it would be a good idea to kind of shop him in the offseason and get something in return. Yeah, I mean, inevitably, that becomes the problem. You know? Fucking blows, dude. I mean, I, I, I fucking love the guy, but that's pretty much it. Well, I mean, we, it all started in Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, the real problem is the CBA and the way that the rookie contracts are phrased, you get them on that rookie contract for four years, and then you have a fifth year team option to where you can just run the freaking wheels off of these guys for those first five years. You basically pay them absolutely nothing. And then when that five years is up and they're ready for a big payday, the original team just moves off of them and drafts a new one. You know, and that's the problem with the running back position right now. That's something that's going to have to be addressed inside of the new CBA because we have seen this pattern happen over and over and over. And now we're seeing it up in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook because he wants to get paid. He's going into that fifth year. He doesn't want to be franchise tagged. I want a commitment from the team that you're going to freaking pay me and I'm not going to play until you do. It's the same thing that Ezekiel Elliott did to the Cowboys. If Minnesota pays them, they're absolute fools. His backup actually averages more yards per carry than he does. These people have an overinflated sense of self-importance, and they think they're the center of everybody's universe. That's the problem. And just like you said, that's that speaks volumes. If I'm the owner, I'm like, hey, you know what? Bye. Because your backup has more yards per carry than you do. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to have to pay this quarterback $40 million freaking dollars because that's the market for a quarterback. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but the franchise tag thing isn't so bad. If if I was an NFL player, and I'm guaranteed, I mean, I am not that plugged into sports, but isn't the franchise tag minimum like $18 million? Or what's the exact number on that? Because I would gladly take it. It varies by position. because. Oh, okay. Because basically what they do is they look at the average salary of like, you know, the top five wide receivers, and then they figure out an average. And that's what your franchise tag is. If you're a wide receiver, if you're an offensive lineman, it's a completely different franchise tag. If you're a quarterback, it's a completely different franchise tag. The, the problem with the franchise tag is there's absolutely no commitment. Like we can franchise tag you. And at the end of the season, we can just let you walk and not have to pay you. And then, you know, who knows if you're Cam Newton and you're looking for a job in the league because nobody wants to hire you. That's another weird one, man. Like I, I know he's been hurt recently, but the guy went to a Super Bowl and he's not on a team. Do you think he ends up with a team or you think he's just going to play the whole wait till someone gets hurt? I can fill a spot because, I mean, he's very capable. He can come in immediately and start for any team in the league. Do you think that's what he's doing? You think he's going to find a team? And also, just to kind of add on to that, does Colin Kaepernick get a team now with the whole Black Lives Matter movement? And where do you think he ends up? Well, if a team is going to bring in Colin Kaepernick, I think they're absolutely insane. But, you know. Really? Well, here's the thing with Kaepernick, right? Number one, people forget that he got benched. True. He he, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. All right. <laughs> I, I and that was before he even started kneeling, right? He lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> you know, I it, to me, honestly, the only place that I could see Kaepernick working is in Baltimore. And that's because of the offensive coordinator. When you when you look at what Lamar Jackson is doing right now. When you look at Kaepernick and what he did when he was in San Francisco, it's the same offensive coordinator. It's that system with that style of quarterback. So I think he would work in Baltimore, but they already have RG3, and we don't need the media circus for a Mm third-string quarterback. And that's pretty much where I feel Kaepernick is. Because when I look at his ability, regardless of everything else— Best case scenario, I think he's a backup quarterback. I think there's like 24 backup quarterbacks that I would rather have 
before Colin Kaepernick. Hell, Jameis Winston at this point is a third string quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, and he threw for 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards last year. Yeah, he had 30 interceptions, but he also had 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. And he's a third string quarterback. Where, where where does Colin Kaepernick fit in today's NFL, especially after being gone for five years? I will pay him $750,000 to come in, stand there, and hold a clipboard because that's what I see Colin Kaepernick's worth inside of the NFL right now. But then you bring the media circus along with it, and I don't even think he's worth $750,000 and standing there holding a clipboard. Hmm. See, I see him showing up in Cleveland, to be honest with you, only because I don't have any faith in Baker Mayfield. I think he's a terrible quarterback. I think he's a big fucking head case. I don't like anything I've seen from him. He's a turnover machine. He's had a couple of years now in the system, and he's just not a good quarterback. I can see Cleveland bringing Kaepernick in, maybe making him a backup to Baker Mayfield. Baker's throws his usual you know, amount of turnovers and touchdowns or, or turnovers and fumbles and whatnot. Just doesn't, and he looks flustered out there a lot of the time. And then Kaepernick may be coming in looking okay. The guy's in great shape. He's a great athlete. I don't think he's going to turn around a franchise, but for some reason, I don't know what it is, maybe just my naivety or whatever, but I can see him ending up in Cleveland for some reason. I Maybe because I hate Baker Mayfield. I think he's a fucking dick. Okay, but w- would you rather, right now, both of these guys are out of the league, all right? Mm-hmm. And both of them say, yes, I want to come back and play tomorrow if a team will give me a job. Would you rather have Tim Tebow or Colin Kaepernick? Dude, Tim Tebow deserves to be in the league. I don't know why he's not even in because he had a great fucking run. I understand the guy fucked up a lot. You know, like he had a lot of turnovers, but he beat the Steelers in the playoffs. He had this magical run with the, with, with the Broncos. I don't understand why he's not at least a backup somewhere. Okay. I, I like what- Tim Tebow. Would you rather have Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick? Oh, Cam Newton, easily. Would you rather have Jameis Winston or Colin Kaepernick? Ooh, Jameis Winston has a lot of upside, but he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah, I would probably take Jameis Winston. I mean, that that's a tough pick, though. But So, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm naming teams third-string quarterbacks and guys who aren't even in the league. Like. Yeah. What, what place does Colin Kaepernick have in a modern-day NFL, especially with the media circus that's going to come with him? That's the whole thing. I mean, you're, you're bringing in an absolute headache for the franchise. You're bringing in an absolute headache for the coaching staff for a third-string quarterback. Why would you do that? He probably wouldn't, but as far as the NFL goes, are you going to be able to watch it without a crowd? I have a hard time watching the NFL as it is, man. And, and and it's just because of of the way the rules are formatted at this point. I mean, when after every play, when the first thing that I do is look in the upper left-hand corner of the screen to see if there's a flag, there's a problem with the game. Makes sense. Makes tons of sense, yeah. That's, that's one of the things that really got me into hockey a couple of years back because oh. hockey doesn't stop. Like, just the, the actual pace of the game. It's like once they start playing, they just don't stop. Mm-hmm. Whereas with football, it's just like, oh, my God, can we just fucking get on with it already? And it's like, oh, there's five minutes left in the game. Yeah, honey, there's five minutes left in the game. 45 minutes later and the fucking game's not over because you got to go through six timeouts and six commercial breaks. And then we've got to have, you know, 
Troy Aikman come on there and tell you how fucking smart he is and how the Cowboys should have done this. And it's just like, oh, my God, just play the fucking game already. Yeah. Well, who's your team in hockey? Because I've also been trying to get into hockey because I always loved the sport. I just never watched games. And I'm a Devils fan, obviously, because I'm from Jersey and I'm pretty faithful to my New Jersey teams. But there's something to hockey where it's just fucking fun, man. And like, you're, you're right. They just play the goddamn game the way it's supposed to be played. And I've never seen them pussify the sport like they have in football and basketball. Oh my God. I was watching that Bulls thing with Michael Jordan, the, the, the last dance. And you would see the physicality that doesn't exist anymore. If Michael Jordan played right now, that son of a bitch would play fucking every game in probably average about 50 to 60 points a game because that is the kind of shit that happens nowadays. Like, you can't touch anybody. You can't even look at someone wrong without a goddamn penalty. It's it's, it's just ridiculous. See, and, and I understand the sentiment, but I don't think that he would have averaged like 50, 60 points a game. Really? Um, and, and I say that because of James Harden, right? Like, I mean, James Harden is playing in the modern-day NBA – I think that James Harden is a better pure shooter than Michael Jordan ever was. True. And and he's still only averaging like, you know, 35, 36 points a game. Because the problem is that to, to average 50, 60 points a game, the night that you only score like, you know, 30 points, you've got to go out and score 80 in the next game to keep that average up around 50, 60 points, you know, and the game is so different now. Like one of the things about Michael that is so overrated, he was not a great three point shooter. And in the 2020 NBA, the the entire game is based around the three point jump shot. Like the whole mid range jumper that MJ made famous doesn't even exist in the modern day NBA anymore because the analytics say, if you're going to shoot from there, you might as well shoot from three. True. Mr. Jargo, I have a special surprise for you here, and we do have a lot more to talk about, but I do want to take a quick time out from our regular podcasting because someone wants to say hi to you, sir. No, no, no. I don't want to say hi. You better say hi. I've done had it with your shit, woman. You've been ducking me for a freaking year. Every time I talk about even coming on this show. Oh, the nerd ad's busy tonight. No, bullshit. When I signed up for this thing, I was under the understanding that it was going to be the two of you. Hey, that's not that's not on me. That's all. Yes, it is. It is not on me. You're horrified to come on with people. You never, you never do these. Listen, I I have, I have uh, steel chairs lined. I have stuff lined up here. We we could have, you know, taken care of some shit. Well, he doesn't have his tag team partner. It it would be two versus one here. What's wrong with that? Still a handicap match in my favor. It's like Braun Strowman versus The Miz and John Morrison. Like, did anybody really think The Miz and John Morrison were going to win? Hell no. Jesus Christ. It would have been a good title switch, though. I, I think that would have been the perfect time to make something happen. It would have been cool. Like, do some shock TV value. But I do understand they're never going to do a title switch if there's no crowd because you want that reaction. That and Braun Strowman sucks. Really? Oh, my God. You don't like Braun? <laughs> He's boring. What is it? Is it the fact that he's like a big guy who just does big guy things, or is it just because he doesn't have much of a character besides this whole get these hands thing? That's I, he's boring. I mean, that, that that's really the reality of it. Like, there's a reason Andre the Giant was not the WWF champion. He didn't need it. He didn't need it. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just that Braun has been booked like shit. And let's face it, he's a replacement champion anyway, because it should be Roman Reigns that's walking around with that title right now. Do you think he ever comes back? That yeah, 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 I think he will. I think he'll be back. Because I, was, I was trying to determine whether I wanted to answer honestly or how <laughs> I, I feel about Roman Reigns. But yeah, I think he'll be back. I hope he's not, but I think he'll be back. He can take fucking Goto with him, too. You see, the way that you just described Braun Strowman is how I feel about New Japan. Well, like not New Japan wrestling. And and, and thank you, Billy Ray Valentine, for allowing New Japan to open up again, because yeah. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. You, you talk about the Major League Baseball mess and the collective bargaining agreement. You, sh- you should see all the things I had to give to Billy Ray Valentine to get him to lift the restrictions on New Japan Pro Wrestling. For fuck's sake, I had to do an episode of the Wednesday Locker Room, and they brought in fans and stuff. It might be like the worst podcast in the history of podcasts. I listened to that one, and that one was uh, it was interesting. That was a mess. It was a fucking wreck. It was a train wreck. I'll be honest with you, man. Um, but as far as New Japan goes, like, I don't know these people. I don't know their names. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't speak their language. I don't like to read subtitles. But I will watch their show because I do understand that they are allowing fans to come in with strict testing, of course, because fucking rules and whatnot. So I do want to watch it because I, I actually want to hear a crowd cheer, even though New Japan, from what I understand, reading the dirt sheets way back in the day, back when I was really plugged into wrestling... They don't cheer a lot. They're very respectful, and they cheer when they're prompted, as far as I know. Has that changed? No. No. I, you, you get a very organic reaction, you know? And it's the way that New Japan Pro Wrestling and they, the way that they do their booking is based around more national pride and cheering for underdogs, right? Like, if you have a Japanese wrestler against a Caucasian wrestler from the United States— chances are they're going to cheer for the Japanese wrestler. Like everything is not nearly as cut and dry as far as baby faces and heels and everything in new Japan. It's just done in a very, very different kind of presentation all the way down to like, they have teams inside Mm -hmm. of, of Japanese wrestling, whether it be new Japan, whether it be stardom, you know, where they'll have five different factions like bullet club is its own faction. It's basically its own team. And when, a guy from Bullet Club wrestles a guy from Chaos. It's not just about those two guys. It's also about the interfaction warfare that goes on between the different factions. You know, so it, it's more like watching a regular sport than it is watching what WWE has become today. You definitely have to send me some recommendations on things to look up because at this point, I just want to see crowds. I I just want to see people living life again. And I'm sick and tired of this bullshit. And I I wanted to ask you about TV, just general TV shows. I mean, they have this thing now where there's this soap opera that my wife watches and she left the room. She's gone after her little run-in. Yeah, she went fucking running again. Of course, man. Like, Like I said, dude, she hates talking to other people because she... Like I said, man, like I get in my head sometimes. She's in her head all the time. It's just really strange. She'll get better, I promise. But there's a show that she watches called Bold and the Beautiful, which is a soap opera, right? And they're bringing it back, and they're going to be recording again. But what they're doing is they're doing this thing now where the actors have to wear a face. Everyone has to wear a face mask unless you're on camera. Then you can take it off. Only a certain amount of people are allowed to be in the room. And once you finish your scene, you put your face mask back on. 
And I think that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, the whole face mask thing in general, I mean, it's very controversial. I don't wear one, but I would if I went to a store that said, hey, you can't come in unless you're wearing it. I'll do it out of respect, but I don't think that they work. I just feel like this whole thing is a fucking mess. But when I watch TV and I see, like, my wife was watching Friends earlier, and I walked out there, you know, in the living room, and I saw her watching Friends, and it was a scene where a lot of people were sitting next to each other in this diner, whatever the fuck they hang out at, and they're all together just hugging and doing things. Do you ever see us getting back to that? I don't know. Honestly, I I, I don't know. It's a, a lot of it's going to depend on whatever narrative they want pushed right now. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that if or when that happens, it's going to be a long ways away. I think this is going to change a lot of things when it comes to um, people not going to offices. Um, I, I think the work from home business is, is going to explode when people have realized exactly what can happen with productivity with people working from home as opposed to coming into an awful cubicle that they don't want to be at for eight hours. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how society responds to a lot of things. But, you know, like even TSA, right? Like TSA wasn't really a thing before 9-11 and now it's just standard. You know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes like that where maybe we don't have 20,000 people inside of this arena and things go back to where there were only 5,000 people in one of these arenas. I think it's a whole fucked up scenario. And uh, just to be honest with you, man, um, I, I, I really want things to go back to normal. I really wish that of all the things the government kept secret from us normal folk, I wish they would have kept this coronavirus a secret because I feel like if we just went through life normal and people just died, we would just attribute that to people dying, people getting old because old people are dying from this thing and old people die. That's a fact of life. We we're, we're babies. We, we, we live our lives. We get old and we die. I feel like this thing should have been swept under the rug, but it was all politicized, man. And I will never let that fact go. But I did have a guest on uh, a couple nights ago, the great Dr. Alex Arroyo from the NFO podcast, he came on and he shared his experiences, his personal experiences being a doctor and seeing people come in and out and being sicker than they've ever been before. And I do appreciate his perspective on the whole thing, but I still can't get behind the fact that we would be better off if we kept working. And these numbers, I'm thinking they're at what one point or like 140,000 people dying or some shit from this thing, supposedly. I would say we're probably at roughly a third of that number if you didn't attribute the fact that hospitals get paid more for people that are admitted to COVID-19 with a ventilator. They get like $39,000 as opposed to like $3,000 or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. It's just a fucking mess, dude. And I am so sick and fucking tired of just people losing their jobs and livelihoods. The work from home thing is pretty cool and all. I mean, I love doing it myself right now, but... I don't see working from home, working remotely being a good thing because I feel like people need to be out and seeing each other, touching each other, fucking just having that person to person interaction. Do you see yourself like having changed a little bit at all? Like, have you become a nicer person, more uh, sentimental person, maybe uh, someone who feels for other people more just because of the whole lockdown situation? No, I don't give a fuck about people. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) I mean, I'm like Brock Lesnar. I don't give a shit about your kids. 
You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's my reality, right? Like, I choose the people that I want to associate with, and the people that I want to associate with are my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And with my work schedule, that's about the only people I associate with. I don't feel like anything in my world has necessarily changed when it comes to the entire quarantine, other than there's not been necessarily as much traffic. You know, like yeah. uh, that's about it for me. Um, as I, I, I don't consider myself a nice person. I consider myself a real person. And I feel like the people that actually know me know that. Um, I am not the guy that you come to for advice when you already know that you're going to get a bad answer because I will give you a bad answer. I will tell you to get your fucking shit together. I'm not going to sit here and just sugarcoat things because that's the new hip and trendy thing to do. No, get your fucking shit together. I agree. And I always say it myself about, about me and the nerd ad here is like, we're very hard people to be friends with because we're not the kind of people that reply to a text message immediately. Sometimes what we'll do is if someone texts us, we'll wait like a day or two and get back to them. And sometimes people get upset about that. But you have to understand that's just how we are. We're very hard to get on the inside because we just don't trust people. We don't like people for the most part. And it's really tough, man. But something I do want to ask you about, because you did mention kids. Who is the teacher now? Because one of you, you or your lovely wife, have a new occupation as a homeschool teacher. How's that been working out for you guys? Iowa didn't really do any of that. Um, I, I feel like both of us do that pretty equally. It's not like we're making the kids sit down and do shit for eight hours a day. Um, we didn't have any kind of mandate or anything when it comes to school. So your kids were able to go to school the whole time? No, no. Their last day of school was March 13th. So, but they didn't, they didn't do like online classes or anything like that around here. They just, okay, school's out. Peace. The hell that's weird because like our school here was weird because like what they did was they stopped school around the same time as, as, as your school stopped and they gave us these assignments and my wife had to do zoom meetings with the teacher every day with the kid yep. like, I, background. Wow. None of that. Do you think school's going to come back the same way it used to be? God, I hope not because our education system is fucking awful. <laughs> True. I mean like for real, dude, you, you, Ask your kids when they get home, like you all sit down for dinner, right? And I always do this thing where I'm like, yep. so what'd you learn at school today? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> then what in the fuck did I send you to school for? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not teaching these kids anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's the reality of things. Like when you get into the whole, like no child left behind and, and the, the, the way that the American education system is at this point, it's just a fucking joke. It's all about embracing your mediocrity. We want everybody to be exactly the same. You know, like I, I, I don't, do you do like high school reunions and shit? No, hell no. I, I don't even join the Facebook group. I'm right there with you, but there is one instance that I would consider going back to my high school reunion. And that's if Mrs. Cornelius is going to be there. Mrs. Cornelius was my calc teacher, right? She taught Mm -hmm. me fucking calc. She did pre-calc. She did calc two. She did trigonometry. She was a real pain in my high school ass. And you know what? I told her back in like, you know, 1996, 1997 I'm never going to use any of this shit 
I want to go back and see Mrs. Cornelius because one of us was right and one of us was wrong and she is not the one that was fucking right. How often do you use trigonometry in your everyday fucking life? How about never? I've always hated those fucking questions where it's like, okay, so Molly goes to the store. She picks up three of these, six of these, and ten of these. How much of X does she have to spend? I've never once in my life fucking thought about this bitch ever again in my life. I've never had these questions in my head. The only real things you need are addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Very simple math. You don't need to know anything crazy. I don't never even passed... need that anymore. Yeah, true. true. I mean, all, all I have to do is say, you know, hey, Siri. What's 128 <laughs> divided by three? 128 divided by three is about 42.6666. Thank you, Siri. Yeah, it's that easy. I don't even need simple fucking math anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, we're part cyborg now, if you haven't noticed, because we, we have this little device in our pockets that can do anything for us. It can give us the world news. It can give us the sports course. We can watch TV. We can watch porno. We can play video games on it. We can watch movies. We can do literally anything on our cell phones. And by the way, have you seen, and you're an iPhone person, obviously, because you use Siri, and you're a very smart guy because you use Apple products. Did you see that they put sneakily, and I don't know what cell phone provider that you have, but T-Mobile had this thing the other day where everything shut down and they supposedly, and I saw this on Facebook, snuck in this thing where it's like a COVID tracker under your settings, under health and analytics, where it's like a COVID tracker, where it, 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 it's, it's like this health thing where it, it, it finds out if you've been in contact with people that have COVID-19. Did you see that on your phone? Um, no, but... <clears throat> It's fucking the, the two the two issues are not related. Um, there was a software update for all the T-Mobile users the other day. Yeah, I, I saw all about the COVID thing, and that's going to become pretty standard, I think. Um, the, the only positive thing about it is you can turn it the fuck off, and yeah. I, I recommend that everybody do. Um, but as far as the network going down the other day, that was not because of that update. There was a huge cyber attack on both the United States and Brazil the other day. Um, and that was like the fifth one already this year. And it really hit uh, a lot of the cell phones, uh, the cell phone providers, uh, internet providers, satellite TV providers. It was kind of a big thing that went rather unnoticed because, you know, we can cover it up with Black Lives Matter and COVID. Was it a DDoS attack or was it something yes, bigger? Yes, sir. Now, a, a DDoS attack, from my knowledge, for people out there that don't know what it is, is basically someone just sending false scripts to a program and overloading it to the point where they shut down, correct? Yeah. Okay, so uh, when my phone stayed the same, like I'm one person who doesn't need a cell phone. I do like it. I call it my walking porn box and my information box because I don't use it for calls or texts or anything really. But I had friends out there that were freaking out for like the 45 minutes to an hour that it was working. And people were, were texting me like, hey, can you call me and see if your phone works? And have we become way too reliant on these devices? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want some fascinating reading, all right, and, and, and this, this is one of those things that people kind of look at me funny when I go on this diatribe. Oh, do it here, man. We can do whatever the fuck we want here. 
there, there is a gentleman by the name of Theodore Kaczynski who uh, wrote a manifesto about this in, you know, the mid nineties. Um, you may know him by his better name, the Unabomber. Uh, if you actually read industrial society and its future, um, yeah, that's basically exactly what's going on in the modern world. Uh, now, I, I feel like I have to preface and say I don't agree with the Unabomber blowing shit up. I don't agree with the Unabomber killing people. I don't agree with his methods. However, the entire reason that Ted Kaczynski did all of that was to get this manifesto published. And unfortunately, while the manifesto was published in the largest largest failed sting operation in the history of the American government, not nearly enough people have actually read that manifesto because they can't get past who wrote it. But if you actually just look at the information contained inside of the manifesto, Ted Kaczynski was right. You see, now I want to look this up because I want to get more into like just certain people and, and ideologies that you normally wouldn't think as popular. But when you go back in hindsight, like some of these people were correct. And yeah, like that's something I would definitely like to deep dive into. And can you share a little bit with us about why he was right? Because I, I'm really intrigued right now. Like you piqued my interest here with this. It- It basically says inside of the manifesto that at the rate that technology is advancing and the dependency that humans are getting on the technology, it's only a matter of time until technology results in the downfall of society. And now I think we can simply refer to that as Twitter. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Like when you think back to what happened with Rodney King. Right. And and the riots that happened in Los Angeles, it didn't spread like wildfire throughout the entire country. It was one of those things that we knew was going on and we heard about it at five 30 or six 30 on the national news for a half hour, because, you know, we didn't really have the 24 seven news cycle. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. We weren't completely engulfed inside of the Los Angeles riots. It was just something that we saw on TV. Now, when we see something happen, like what happened with Mr. Floyd up in Minnesota, if you see what happened in Atlanta last weekend, as soon as that happens, it goes national. And it goes national in a way that the media cannot control, which is one of the things that they hate about Donald Trump. Like they said that they wanted transparency. They wanted the most transparent president (laughs) ever. Well, you don't have to wonder what fucking Trump is thinking. It's called his goddamn Twitter account. Mm -hmm. The problem is they can't control the narrative. They can't control what Trump says and how Trump says it and when he says it and when we're going to release it, if it's going to be in the Friday afternoon dump or if it's going to be the lead story on Monday morning, it gets out whenever Trump wants it to. And that's one of the things they hate about Donald Trump. But it's also the reason that you see something like the Black Lives Matter movement just absolutely blow up. And all of a sudden, you know, there's protests in Iowa City that people probably didn't hear about. There's protests in Omaha that people probably didn't hear about. Mm -hmm. But I'm seeing it on Twitter. They're not covering it on the national news. Well, if they're rioting in Iowa City, then chances are something's going to happen in Cedar Rapids, too, because the people from Iowa City are going to come to Cedar Rapids. And sure enough, that happened and vice versa. 
all the way out to Des Moines. Some of the riots out in freaking Des Moines were getting pretty crazy there for a while. Nobody on the national news heard about it, but we sure as hell did. And you can follow the whole thing on Twitter as it was happening. It's crazy, man. And the thing about the guy in Atlanta, Georgia, and I, I believe because I don't have his name on hand right now. We just talked about this the other day and on our last episode, but he was the one who was drunk in his car at a Wendy's, right? Right. It, all right. So basically he committed multiple crimes here. So he was drunk driving. That's number one, which is a horrible thing to do, drunk driving. And he fell asleep at his car in a Wendy's drive through. Other cars were honking the horn. He didn't move. They called the cops. The cops came. The cops were really cool. They had a really good conversation. They were like, hey, man, how much you had to drink? Are you okay? And the guy was talking to him, and they were fine. He wrestled two cops to the ground, grabbed a taser, which is a deadly weapon because the I think it was the governor said, hey, this is the deadly weapon weeks ago before this happened. And then he came back and said, no, it's not a deadly weapon after this guy got killed. And, and the audio was out there for people that want to listen. And... Basically, he, he wrestled the guys to the ground. He grabbed the taser. He, he ran from the cops. He turned around and shot the taser at one of the police officers, and the cops killed him. I don't see a problem with this. I mean, shit like this happens all the time, and it sucks when anyone dies, obviously. But I am on the side of the police in this one, and I do know that there are horrible cops out there. I've dealt with horrible cops in my life. Uh, like I I personally never had a bad experience with a cop, but I know that there are bad experiences with cops. So let me, you know, uh, kind of just fix that whole statement there. But what do you think about the whole Black Lives Matter movement when it comes to police and the whole, you know, we have to demonetize police, we have to defund them and, 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 and get rid of police because it doesn't work. You see what's happening in Seattle. You see that they have these fucking people out there taking over like blocks of land and saying that they're warlords or whatever the fuck is going on there right now. Crazy shit is happening in the world. If you take away police, that's going to happen everywhere. Do you think this is a good or bad idea? Oh, I think it's an awful idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the biggest thing is, I guess at this point, when it comes to political beliefs, I consider myself to the right when it comes to fiscal matters and matters of the military. And I consider myself to the left when it comes down to a lot of social issues. So the only logical conclusion is I, I must be a libertarian because I, I feel like the more regulation that is put into place, if we go to a privatization of police forces, which I mean, they say defund the police. What they really want to do is basically completely rebuild the police department in a whole new image. It's not just an elimination. It's more of a reform, but they, they just pick awful words, kind of like essential worker which was just a, a, a very, very poor choice of words. They've selected defund the Thank police, you. which is not at all what's actually going on. They're looking for reform. But when you go into a privatization, then you have other agendas that come into play, right? And so what's the only logical answer? Well, it, it's government regulated. Well, that, there's the fucking problem. Because you're adding more government and more government is a worse government. What we need actually is less government. When I look at the national government, I see that they have two responsibilities. That's it. Two. 
Number one, stimulate the economy. And number two, fund the military, defend our borders. That's it. Other than that, the federal government needs to shut the fuck up and stay the fuck out of it. All right? Leave it to the goddamn states. Because if Iowa does something that I completely disagree with, right, on premise, that's cool. I can move to, I don't know, another fucking state where I agree with their political beliefs. But Mm -hmm. this just absolute mandate of just more government, more government, more government. You know, like right now, we have nine fucking congressional oversight committees. We have an oversight committee for the oversight committee for the oversight committee times three. (laughs) And people wonder what the fuck is wrong with the United States government. More government is not the answer. I agree. But you did bring up the word essential workers, right? And I fucking hate this word. We've talked about this many times on our platform here. And uh, I feel like it's uh, dehumanizing, basically. So you're basically saying, like, if someone works at a job, uh, they're non-essential. So, like, you don't fucking matter. Even yeah, though but they're all the people making all the fucking money. Exactly. And you're the person making money to provide for your family in a job that some higher person is telling you that you don't matter. I'm not sure if you're a Twilight Zone fan because I bring this analogy up a lot. But there was an episode called um, uh, The Fuck is a Obsolete. And they were having this guy on trial. They were saying, hey, you're obsolete because you don't matter to human society. I feel like we're going down that path now where we're telling people like, hey, this job you're working now doesn't really matter in the in the spoke of things. It doesn't matter at all. So your job can be shut down at any given time. I'm doing a job right now that I mean, it's rewarding and I'm getting paid and I'm working from home, which is great and all. But, you know, it's not what I really want to do. It's, it, it's such a fucked up thing that we're doing right now, telling people that, hey, the way that you provide for your family, and we're both married men with kids. So if someone said to you, Michael Jargo, what you're doing now doesn't matter. So fuck you, you're fired. You have to not make money doing something that you're trained to do, and you can't provide for your family because we say, we, we, the fucking almighty beings, are saying you can't do it. How do you feel about that? Because, like, I've had friends that were complaining about being essential and having to work during this. And I'm looking at them like, you're fucking lucky. Well, see, I I guess I actually fall into that category um, because I have been considered essential from day one. I have not missed one day of work because of the quote unquote pandemic. Um, But my complaint is they keep telling me I'm essential but my paycheck says otherwise. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. You know, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. At least where I work, the people that are not coming into work are the people that are in the pay grade above me and the people two pay grades above them. And it's the corporate suits that are working from home. But us essential workers who are out here in the shit, yeah, we're so important. Yeah, we're required for the day-to-day operation. How come you're the ones making all the fucking money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I think people are, are are becoming irritated, the people that have been considered essential from the beginning. 
is it's like, yeah, we're essential because we do all the fucking work while you sit at home and you make all the money. I guess the pandemic hasn't really changed anything. It's so fucked up, man, because back in the day, like I worked at a Wendy's when I was 17 years old. I'm 36 now, so that's more than half my life ago. I made $7.50 an hour. I'm sure the pay rate didn't go up much since then, 20 years later or so. These people can't stop going to work over this fucking pandemic, which I use that term very loosely. And they're they're required to go to work and they're considered essential because they provide food for people. So you would think that if you're an essential, quote unquote, essential worker, you should get paid double or triple what you're getting paid. Because if things shut down again, which they will, because they know that they can do this now and they will try it again in the future, maybe pay people more money that are providing in quote unquote, essential service, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be the logical conclusion, but I mean, you, you bring up the fast food industry, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. even before the pandemic, that's a multi-billion dollar industry that's ran by fucking teenagers. Yeah. I mean, if that's not the epitome of the American dream, I don't know what in the fuck is. Like, <laughs> we were talking about Vince McMahon and when he bought, you know, the WWE, right? Well, yeah. people absolutely lost their freaking minds when Linda McMahon was appointed to Donald Trump's cabinet as the head of the Small Business Administration, mm-hmm. right? And people were like, I, what the fuck does she know about a small business? She runs a multi-billion dollar company. Well, yeah, but it was a small business when they bought it and they built it into a multi-billion dollar company. Who in the fuck do you want running the small business administration? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, Linda McMahon, she's a very smart woman. And I know that they like didn't Donald Trump put Vince McMahon in charge of the rebuilding America plan or some shit like that. Well, he he was part of the committee. And I mean, when you get into that committee, I mean, people like Dana White were on the committee. People like Mark Cuban were on the committee. I mean, which actually makes sense. I mean, it was basically the people that run all the largest sports leagues. Now, you're a wrestling guy. And I do want to ask you this question because this one still baffles me to this day. How the fuck is wrestling an essential business in Florida? Again, it was a a poor choice of the word essential. Um, When you look at the definition that WWE falls under, it's the same definition that the local news broadcast is going to fall under. You know, they're, they're, they're providing an essential business because they're considered a media conglomerate. They're not considered a professional wrestling company. They're a multimedia entertainment company that's traded on fucking Wall Street. It's a public fucking company. Anytime I can look at Sasha Banks, it's very essential. She's a good-looking woman, man. Holy shit. I mean, it, it, it's all about putting things in context, you know? <laughs> it, it's, when you read the actual definition... You're like, oh yeah, the the WWE qualifies under that. But when you see that they're they're proclaimed an essential business, you're like, oh no, bullshit. You know, which is half the fucking problem with this goddamn country right now because people just read fucking headlines. They don't actually read the fucking article. Yeah, no, that makes plenty of sense. It does. Um, so let me ask you this question here about cancel culture because there's so many things to talk to you about because you're a very interesting guy. You're you're, and I do appreciate the fact that you are very widespread with your with your thoughts your interests and things like that because you're not just about wrestling you can talk about a wide range of things i do want to ask you about the whole defunding the police and and i want to get your thoughts about this because 
there are certain areas now where people are getting rid of their police departments and they're talking about defunding the police. And in Minneapolis, they burned down the police station and they're talking about building it back up with different officers and things like that. And I understand, like, this is just me getting my little high horse here. I understand because, like, I felt like this for a long time. Like, I feel like police officers do need to be retrained because down here in Myrtle Beach, I was approached personally by a, a police officer saying, hey, they pay $32,000 a year. You could be a cop. Just go fucking do it. It's very easy to get in. And that's where I kind of had a problem. I'm like, if it's easy to get in, then who the hell is protecting us? So I right. do believe that some reform is is essential, and I think that should happen. Where do you stand on this whole thing? Because cops are getting thrown under the bus. Well, I, I, I think I think there's a, a couple of things that you have to look at. Um, number one, there was a time not that awful long ago, um, not our generation, but the generation before us, where roughly 70 percent of the American workforce belonged to a union. And they ran the unions out because the unions had become too strong. They had become too powerful. But a couple of the issues that we have talked about today, education and now the police, mm-hmm. have two of the strongest unions inside of this country. And that's where a lot of the problems start. If you really want police reform, number one, we have to do away with the police union. I think that would help a hell of a lot. Number two, um, I do not think that it is unreasonable to require somebody who wants to become a police officer to obtain a bachelor's degree in criminal justice before mm-hmm. they become a police officer. I, that to me does not seem unreasonable. We do that with our attorneys, the, the people that enforce the laws when it comes to the judges. Why do we not do it with the point of contact person? No, it makes plenty of sense. And to me, that actually starts reforming the police department because rather than somebody who's just looking for a job where they can make $32,000 a year by putting on a badge and walking around and being an asshole, you actually have to make a commitment to that. So, okay, you you have a four years bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Now you can be admitted to the police academy, which may be another, you know, 18 months, two years. And then, yeah, sure. Go ahead and start your career. You know, very, very much like doctors. We don't let people just straight out of fucking high school go be fucking doctors and figure it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a fucking horrible situation because, like, we put so much currency in the police department. And the thing about these people that really cracks me up is I've seen a couple of videos of protesters that are going after other protesters or people on the opposite side of the fence. And once it almost turns into physicality, they're saying, I'm going to call the cops. And it's like, wait, you hate the cops, but you're going to call the cops to protect you. Right. Are we going into this Mad Max universe where there's no cops? The Walking Dead, even, like, to a a much lower level, because I hate that fucking show. Like, are we going to go to this world where it's every man fends for themselves? I mean, like, I like my neighbors. I don't talk to them because I don't like people. But I do appreciate the fact that they don't bother me. Is Is there going to be a spot in... Can you imagine this? And just let me just throw this out there real quick because COVID-19 came out and no one can find tissue anywhere for a very long time. Toilet paper of all the fucking things that not find anywhere. Toilet paper, right? Imagine if cops were abolished in all 50 states. 
And you have to basically buy everything now because cops aren't there to protect you and people are going to hoard shit. What do you do at that point? Well, I don't think you have to wonder. I think all you have to do is look at Seattle right now and, and what's going on up there. I mean, you know, the, the, the city of Chad looks like a real pleasant place, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, you, you don't want the entire United States to look like the city of Chad? <laughs> really? It's oh, well, 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 I guess then we need some kind of fucking government then, don't we? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it's that fucking easy, man. I mean, that's a perfect freaking sociological experiment right there. Like, do you remember a Fox a few years ago had this show called utopia? Did yeah. you see any of that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it, it got fucking canceled after like, you know, six weeks because the entire social experiment fell apart. Oh my God. It was a fucking great show too. And it was very informative, man. Like that's what we need more of now. Like we need people to be smarter. And that's the thing that I do love about podcasting is because like we have these opportunities to talk to each other, talk to people and just spread information that's real. And I fucking love this. And I will always do this now because like, I feel like when you turn on the TV and you listen to people like these pundits, there's always someone behind them. The thing I like about podcasting is it's our own personal platform. Say what the fuck you want and people will like you or not like you. But that's the beauty of it all. They will tune in or tune out. And I like that because it's pure honesty. It's pure honest opinions, man. And it's just a beautiful thing. I hate TV. I don't watch it. I really don't pay attention to it much anymore. And shit, man, like I fucking just feel that same way that you do. Well, I, I feel like one of the biggest issues in 2020 is people want to look at things like we're a utopian society yeah. and we're not, we're we not. never have been, and we're never going to be like, people want to look at things like it's so easy. Everything is so black and white. Well, we should just stop doing this. Well, that's great, but people aren't going to do that. I, let, let's be real about things. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And there it's trying to find that balance for actual social change. And it, it's very much like the war in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. We, we never won that war because there was nobody to defeat. The problem yeah. is you were fighting an ideology. You're fighting a belief. You're following a system and yeah. you can't defeat that. You have to actually have conversations and change that. And in order to have a conversation, you actually need people to listen to one another. Like one of the, one of the biggest narratives I keep hearing when it comes to like the black lives matter thing is they, they, they keep bringing up Kaepernick and they keep saying it was not about the flag. It's not about the flag. You're not listening to us. It's not about the flag. Exactly. No. The problem is to you, it's not about the flag, but don't tell me that it's not about the flag when it's about the flag to me. Like, this is not a one-sided conversation. If you want to sit down, we can have a conversation back and forth. We can have a dialogue. Maybe we can come to some kind of a conclusion. But for you to tell me it's not about the flag is no different than me telling you it is about the flag. Yeah. How do you feel about Drew Brees walking back his statements? I understand it. I understand it. And, and I, I, that's another one of those people read the headline. They, they didn't listen to comments in full context. Um, at a certain point, 
it seems like everybody has had to come out and make a statement. And no matter what that statement is, it's going to be wrong for mm-hmm. a good portion of people. It's going to be wrong. And now it's even gotten to the point where people are going after Jerry Jones because Jerry yeah. Jones has not made a statement. They're not pissed off at what he said. They're pissed off that he hasn't said anything. Why can't you not say anything? Right. Is, is, is that not my prerogative? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you keep telling white people to shut the fuck up. Well, even when we shut the fuck up, now we're getting vilified for not saying anything. I agree. You know, and it's just, it, it's the culture. It's the culture. And it's unfortunate, but it's also reality. And how do we change that? Huh, well, you know, unless you can take off all the social networks all at the same time. <laughs> Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Did you see the video of the people? There was a bunch of white people that were like bowing down on hands and knees in front of a small group of black people. And there was a group of black people in in, in Seattle at the heart of this whole thing where they were saying, give every African-American member $10 just to be a part of this whole thing. And if you don't give them $10 out of your own pocket, then you're a horrible person. It's like, what the fuck is going on? And I feel like this Black Lives Matter movement is going to make the people that already hate or have hate in their hearts hate even more because of this whole Black Lives Matter movement. Because if they ever did a thing where they were saying, all right, well, Chinese people need to be built up. Everyone else is going to be, you know, like pushback or just to use wrestling terms like, yeah, there's pushes. So people hate Roman Reigns because he's pushed so much to the top of the moon, right? Black people right now are being pushed to the moon right now. Can you imagine the pushback from people that are like, hey, we fucking matter too. We don't hate black people, but now, you know, maybe we do because you're pushing them to the moon and maybe dehumanizing our, you know, uh, fucking uh, existence and life. And it's one of the most frustrating things about this entire thing, right? Because... When what happened to George Floyd happened to George Floyd, Mm -hmm. I didn't see anybody coming out in defense of the police. Everybody was outraged by this. Everybody knew that a human rights violation had, had been committed. Everybody wanted this officer arrested. Everybody wanted the officers involved also charged. Like there was no debate, right? And then, and then we saw the reaction to it and that has turned a lot of people back against the movement, you know, where it's okay to say, yes, I support your right to protest. I support your right to assemble. I support your right to free speech. But when you start burning shit down, when you start like nothing screams equality, like robbing the fucking Gucci store, (laughs) you know, like, no, you're, you're a fucking criminal and you should be treated like a fucking criminal. Now, if you, if you want to go out there and you want to assemble and have a peaceful protest and everybody go lay in the street for, you know, nine minutes and then everybody gets up and they go home because you made your point and you want to start a dialogue. Great. Let's start that dialogue. But like here, just a few miles down the road in Iowa city, they started spray painting shit on a fucking children's hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, really? What? Show me on the doll where the fucking sick children hurt you. But no, instead, you've got a bunch of eight-year-olds who are locked inside of a fucking hospital. Imagine this, right? Imagine that you're eight years old. You get diagnosed with cancer in January, right? In mm-hmm. March, COVID hits. 
they won't even let your parents into the fucking hospital to come and visit you. And a few weeks later, you're seeing riots in the fucking streets and people spray painting the fucking hospital and trying to light fucking shit on fire. Yep. And tear gas and rubber bullets. Imagine how fucking scared those goddamn kids are. And no one gives any thought to that because all they care about is the narrative. That's it. And instead, what happens is the people that originally supported your movement and recognize the problems, you've just told people, we don't want to talk. We just want to scream and we want to throw a temper tantrum like we're a fucking four-year-old. How much do you attribute this whole thing? And can you imagine it in a world where things happen right now with George Floyd without the coronavirus and the lockdowns? Do you think this whole thing gets as big as it did as far as, you know, like the riots, do you think it gets as big without the coronavirus? Imagine a world, if you will, where the coronavirus hit and instead of locking down, they said, just work through it. Just fucking deal with it. And we dealt with it. And people were still working. They were still making a, a, a living wage. They still had a job to go to. Do you think these things happen the way they do as far as the the George Floyd and the protests and shit like that? Um, I do. Uh, maybe not to the degree in which they did. But I, when you look where a large majority of these protests have happened, right. They're, they're major urban populations. Like we're not talking about all of New York city. We're talking about Brooklyn. We're, we're talking about Chicago. We're talking about Atlanta. We're talking about Los Angeles. A lot of these, the multimedia hubs that, this entire situation is created for. I think that we still would have seen that response from those individuals. I don't know if it would have been to the degree that it is because cabin fever is a real thing and people were just looking for a reason to get out of the house. But I still think that those actions would have been taken. Makes a lot of sense because I feel like a lot of these repressed feelings were just things that were waiting to come out and, a lot of the people that are going out there and fighting against racism, like there was a guy with a fucking crossbow who was shooting into the Black Lives Matter crowd just to try to kill people, people that were stealing things. And the people that I talk to at work, as a matter of fact, the people that are getting this unemployment bonus money, every nine calls out of like 20 probably are about people that are getting their calls declined or, 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 or their funds declined because they can't buy shoes at Foot Locker. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the fuck? Where the hell are your priorities at? Right. Because like, you're buying shoes at Foot Locker. If I had the pleasure of getting $900 a week in unemployment when my job may have not paid as much, maybe yeah. I'd be putting that money towards my uh, mortgage or my car payment or shit like that. Right. And it, it, it just goes to show you, like, where the fuck people's mindsets are. It's such a weird thing, dude. And I guess it's all perspective, you know, and it's just really fucking weird, man. But I do want to kind of get out of this whole, you know, like a hole we're into as far as talking about like dark shit, horrible things. And I want to talk to you about your introversion because like I'm an introvert as well. And I want to ask you because like I found that me being an introvert kind of happened at a certain age of my life. And that's when the full frontal cortex changed and I and people say it's around the age of 25 and that's when I found that I became a quote-unquote non-people person when did you find yourself not being a people person psych 
I mean, it, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Because I, I'm, I'm fascinated by psychology, right? Yeah. That's, that's why I was a psych major. But the problem with psychology is in order to do anything inside of the field of psychology, I would have had to put up with the very people that I cannot fucking stand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Incredible. And, and, yes. And, and that's really what it came down to. And, and this is also a problem that goes on throughout our entire society. Um, because I also feel like attorneys are this way. It seems like most of the good attorneys, you ever notice that they're all defense attorneys? Always. You know why? Because prosecutors get paid fucking dick. You, you have a prosecutor, he might make $80,000 a year. Mm-hmm. You know what these high-priced defense attorneys are getting paid? Millions of dollars a year. And the, the, the problem is the people that are the prosecutors, they're the good ones. They're the ones who don't want to go out. They, they, they don't want to defend guilty people. They don't want to defend people that they absolutely cannot fucking stand. They actually want to make change. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, five years of doing that, 10 years of doing that and realizing, you know, that you could have made $30 million over the course of, you know, those 10 years instead of, you know, the, the 800,000 that you've made, they go and they become defense attorneys. And that's a fundamental flaw inside of our entire American system. Yeah. No, it makes tons of sense, man. And it's the same thing with Congress, man. I, why is Joe Biden the Democratic nominee for president? Because uh, president only pays, you know, like 450 grand a year. Why in the fuck would somebody as smart as like, you know, a Mark Cuban want to be fucking president and take the goddamn pay cut? The whole thing with the presidency and their paychecks are so fucking weird because Obama supposedly made $450,000, just like you said, and the son of a bitch came out being a multimillionaire. Well, that's because they also get paid for, you know, books. They also get paid for media appearances. I mean, there's all kinds of money to be made when you're president. But no one gives Donald Trump credit for donating every single year salary towards things that matter to most people that care about things. That's because he's an asshole. People don't like assholes in 2020, man. That's the fucking reality of things. People just don't like assholes. He is an asshole, but the thing about him is, like, at least he puts his money where his mouth is, at least nowadays. And I really hope he does win re-election, man, because we're in a place right now where we can't have a weak person in charge, and we can't have someone in charge that will lock us down. And the whole lockdown thing, did, did you see what Bill de Blasio said about New York? I avoid listening to Bill de Blasio as much as I possibly fucking can because he's an absolute moron. He's a fucking cunt, man. And fucking and supposedly he was watching something and he gets sent so many things, apparently, from people that are these Karens that people that are gathering in in groups are sending him videos. And he's personally calling the people that are restaurant owners that are the uh, owners of the videos that people are sending to him. That if you have too many people in one area, he says, you're going to lose your liquor license. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. We might have to lock down again because of this and that and, that and the other thing. It's so fucking crazy, man. And like Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo and his fucking dumb fuck brother, Chris Cuomo, who I don't know if you saw this, but he faked his way out of quarantine because he showed this video on CNN where he walked out 
of his basement, being in quarantine, quote unquote quarantine for like three weeks, where he's like, hey, I have to film this. Hey, my family, I'm here. And I am. This is the moment I've been waiting for the whole time to see my family and blah, 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 blah. And he was blowing them like fake kisses. He didn't touch them in the video. But there was a, a video a week prior that was on Twitter where he was with his family holding hands and fighting against some guy on a bicycle because he was trying to check out some property he was getting built or some shit like that. This makes me hate the left even more because there's so much proof that they're fucking pieces of shit, man. And I don't want to get too political, but I just want to get your views on that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's difficult because I, I don't want to say that the left are a bunch of pieces of shit. Um, because there are people on the left that I, I respect very much, you know. Um, just, just personally people that, you know, I, I, I may not necessarily agree with politically, but that I consider friends of mine, you know? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the hierarchy of the democratic party versus the new constituents of the democratic party and the, the, the self-proclaimed Bernie crats that go, you know, as far <laughs> left as you possibly can and, and get into socialist, um, the entire party is just in so much turmoil and they have absolutely no idea what the fuck to do. Uh, they were so convinced in 2016 that Hillary was going to take the presidency and everything was just going to continue on its merry way and, and push the agenda as they had been. Right. Yeah. And instead they got thrown this incredulous curveball in Donald Trump because you watched the last dance, right? Yes, sir. I love it. Right before the last dance came out, Michael Jordan did like a whole media tour because he was terrified of how he was going to come off inside this documentary. He didn't want people to, to turn on him because mm -hmm. Jordan was a fucking asshole. Right. And instead yep. As we watched the documentary unfold and I was watching the reaction on social media, people just embraced this thing because it was nice to see an alpha male actually be an alpha male and not fucking apologize for it. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's really what Michael Jordan is. So is Donald Trump. And I think that's what people don't necessarily realize about him is yeah, you can sit down and you can dissect everything that he says and we can analyze every word and we can infer that he actually meant this. But what happens is when he gets up there in front of all those people and he talks to them, he steals the moment and he wins the moment and he does it consistently. Those people go freaking nuts for him, right? Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is you have a situation like we had going into WrestleMania last year, right? Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the universal championship. And everybody's going to rally behind Seth Rollins because we all want Brock Lesnar to lose. Nobody wanted Seth Rollins to win. They just wanted Brock Lesnar to lose. Mm. And once Seth Rollins won, we were like, yay. Brock Lesnar's no longer champion. Now get the fucking title off of Seth because we don't like him either. Wrestling and, fans are really fucked up. 
Yeah, but so are political fans. And that's what's going to happen this year. People, nobody that I know of is excited to go out and vote for Joe Biden. They're excited to go out and vote against Trump. And so when they show up at the polls and they have to stand there for 20 minutes to vote against Trump, they're just going to say, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. I'm I'm just not, I'm not even going to worry about it. I'll just go home, get along, get along with my day because they're not infused to vote for Biden. Exactly. He sucks, man. He's not smart. He is not there anymore. And the guy just can't form a fucking sentence. And I don't know if you've seen the videos, man, but like he has these things where he has these gaffes. Oh, where he can't. Oh my God, it's bad. He doesn't know if his wife's a sister or sister's his wife. No idea. But I do want to ask you this question about wrestling fans because, like, I do want to have this conversation with someone, and you're very plugged in and you understand this whole thing. Wrestling fans to me are never happy. And I just don't understand why people can complain about something so much and not let it go. Because, like, people are complaining about wrestling all the time online. Like, I see these websites and like WrestleZone and all these other like ProWrestling1.com or whatever the fuck these websites are called. They bitch about wrestling all the time, but like they complain about it and they will keep coming back to complain about it. Why do people complain about something and not stop watching it? Like what the hell is a deal with that? They're fans. And I mean, fans is short for fanatic. You know, I mean, you say that, right? You say, like, why would you continue to watch it if you hate it so much? Well, the reality is they've lost 80% of the audience that they had in 1997. Mm-hmm. 80%. TV ratings are down 80% versus 1997. So when, when they say, you know, if, if you don't like it, just stop watching it. And then people stop watching it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what's happened, right? And and you see the same thing, whether it be sports, you see the same thing in politics, like the Cleveland Browns, right? You were talking about Baker Mayfield earlier. He sucks. And people fucking hate him and people rag on him all the time. Guess what? They still sell out every fucking game. Mm -hmm. True. Why, 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 why do people still watch the Cleveland Browns? They ain't won a fucking thing in like 50 years. Well, they stole my guy, OBJ, so. Well, I mean, even even like the Chicago Cubs. Why do people love the Chicago Cubs? They didn't win anything for 109 fucking years. 109 <laughs> fucking years of just absolute shit. And mm-hmm. yet you would go to Wrigley Field on a Wednesday afternoon and the place would be fucking packed. Yeah. Because they're fanatics. And they have hope. They have memories. They remember when wrestling was actually good and they want to see it that good again. And instead, you have the WWE telling them to open their mouth and shitting down their throat, you know, for seven hours a week. Good is very subjective. It's a very subjective word is the word good. And your boy, RBV, me and him get along a lot about a lot of topics, man. And one topic we get along about a lot is Charlotte Flair. Oh, for fuck's sake. She's probably my favorite wrestler of all time. Her and the heartbreak and Shawn Michaels. Is my favorite male wrestler is Shawn Michaels. My favorite female wrestler is Charlotte Flair, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I, I, I would get you worked up. It's easy. But, like, I feel like these people put on the best performances of the night. And some people will go on there and just fight to the death in these comment sections. 
like, oh, no, she sucks. She looks like her dad. She's ugly. She's disgusting. Blah, blah, blah. She's got fake tits. Who cares? I just want to know why wrestling isn't under this fucking scrutiny where people that watch like the Patriots play or the Giants or your team or the fucking Cleveland Browns or the Cowboys. You don't see this, but you see it in wrestling where people are so fucking fixated on everything and they know it's fake. Everyone knows it's fake. I mean, there's not one person on the planet Earth that thinks wrestling is real. And I always hate those fucking comments, by the way, where someone says, hey, it's fake. Yeah, well, we know. Here, here's yeah. my response to those people. All right. And this is my response. Anytime somebody says something like that to me. OK, well, you stand right there. I'm going to go grab a steel chair and I'm yep. going to hit you in the fucking face with it as hard as I possibly can. Don't worry, it won't hurt because you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, that's that. That's not how that works. Oh, okay. Get out of here with your fake shit. The funny thing is, like, I actually did wrestle for a short time in my real life, you know, gimmick, where I did a Jersey All Pro wrestling thing, and uh, Jay Lethal was a part of that as well, and he won the tournament, and it was him and some other guy. I can't remember the other guy's name. Fat Frank was the uh, owner's name of uh, J- Jersey Opa Wrestling at the time. He had this Jersey Opa Wrestling tough enough competition at the time where WWE was doing it. And I used to be friends with Jay Lethal, and we used to wrestle in backyards and shit in New Jersey. We went there, we did that whole thing, and then we came out of it. So I can kind of speak from a place where people can kind of know a little bit about wrestling. I'm not a wrestling expert. I've never done a professional wrestling match, obviously, but... I have, you know, friends in the business a little bit, right? But I've never been one person to kind of demonetize what the hell people go through. So I do enjoy the aspect of people that are wrestlers. And I appreciate the fact that they do the things that they do. But I just hate the fact that fans take things into their own account. And it's so fucking toxic to get into this business. And I wanted to ask you about the Destino podcast. And I wanted to ask you why you got into wrestling podcasts in general, because it's very toxic, man. And like, like what made you get into this? Um, without dropping names, although people that have known me for a while will probably know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, a few years back, uh, Ben and Big Ray uh, worked for another platform that shall remain nameless. Yes. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the gentleman over there that kind of ran the show, um, also did uh, raw and SmackDown reviews like immediately after the show. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I remember distinctly the night that I decided to start the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast was the night that Kevin Owens won the universal championship. Um, so that would have been three years ago, almost now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was pissed. The, the, the gentleman hosting the show was pissed because he would have put the universal championship on big Cass. Big Cass. And I was just like, you know what, if this is the level of fucking opinion that you have to have to actually have one of these podcasts, I'm just going to start my own fucking podcast. So I don't have to listen to this dude's (laughs) fucking shit anymore. Yeah. And about that same time, Ben and Big Ray ended up leaving the platform and started Hameen Media. And uh, things just kind of 
snowballed from there. I mean, hitting the marks was started in August of 2017, and we joined Hameen Media in November of 2017. The whole thing that I want to give credence to here is like the fact that like I feel like Big Ray does not get enough credit because I love that guy, man. Like he's like my brother. We text every day. We talk all the time, and. Ben Hamin's another fucking incredible character, man. Like, you guys are all great here, and I want you guys to all get your shine. And just incredible podcasts, like, incredible minds. And that's where I found out about you guys. And the Voices of Misery was a sponsor at one point. And yeah. now we've kind of morphed into a thing where, hey, like, Ben Hamin and uh, Big Ray have saw the kind of audience that we bring and they brought us on as regular contributors every Sunday. We do a show at one o'clock Eastern time, the voice of misery podcast. And it's just a really good synergy thing where we can kind of all kind of get our shit together. And the fact that you're on here, I really appreciate it because you're a person that I really consider as a high podcaster. So the fact that we've been pushing this off for so long, I would take that as a badge of honor because I'm a very hard person to get into a very hard person to talk to, but the fact that you're such a good podcaster, like I'm like, I feel like I'm out of my element a a little bit because like, I feel like you're such a good podcaster that I'm like, Holy shit. I got to talk to this guy. He's going to fucking make me look like shit. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I guess my thing is, I came from the world of music. I was a, a musician touring for about 15 years. So, audio production is just one of those things that it's just been built into me. So when I started the podcast, I wanted the podcast to sound great. And I'm, I'm very happy with all the podcasts that I've put out. Uh, the problem became at a certain point I was doing like five shows a week, um, between, you know, doing the show with Stevie and, and doing a couple of shows a week with Rick and the Monday locker room and then the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast. And it, it just, basically taken over my life. Right. So I, I got with, uh, Ben Hameen and big Ray and informed them with like two months notice that, uh, I I was going to be leaving in, uh, right, right after WrestleMania, the, the Monday after mania would be my last show. And they were incredibly supportive and and just got it. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't want to quit podcasting altogether because I feel like podcasting gives me that same creative outlet that making music did. It's just, it's, it's a different song every time, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I I needed the creative outlet and I was just sick and tired of fucking American wrestling. You know, like I just, the American presentation has completely turned me off at this point. And even AEW, because I thought AEW was going to be something very different than what it's become. So I just, uh, I, I committed to New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom, which is a, a Joshi promotion, an all-women's promotion in Japan uh, that's also owned by Bushi Road, which is the parent company of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's all basically the same company. And uh, now I'm reviewing that, and I've got my own platform, and it's still going out on the HTM Podcast Network, and it's going out on Hameen Media, and it's going out basically wherever you can listen to podcasts. And that was kind of the birth of Destino. So, sure. yeah, it, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's nice to actually cover something that doesn't piss me off unless it <laughs> involves Toro Yano. Well, that's great, man. Like, you have to find your own niche in life. And uh, the fact that you found the thing that you like 
and you have passion about talking about is great because like the thing is like a lot of people out there and I've noticed this a lot about people in Podbean and a lot of the hacker Hameen people out there that are you know like covering shows like Raw and Smackdown and shit like that the first thing they say is like hey we don't want to talk about this and they talk about everything else but wrestling and then they talk about wrestling and it's like five minutes of it I appreciate those every other minutes except for wrestling because I like to hear the personalities talk about everything except wrestling. So I feel like we're blessed here at Voices of Misery because like we talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Whereas when you're a wrestling podcast, you have to talk about wrestling, even though you don't want to. So one question I do have for you is like, Imagine if you're a like a raw podcast because like you used to do the Monday show with Rick Vickery, who I fucking love that guy. He's fucking hilarious, even though he does eat way too many carbs and I don't like that carb shit. I'm a, you know, keto guy. Hashtag keto Steve Ray, uh, Steve Richards Fitness. What do you think about people that have to cover a thing that they don't really like. I mean, like, do you think there's room for more shit or what? Well, I mean, the the thing about the professional wrestling market in particular is it is so saturated at this Mm -hmm. point. It's it's like everybody and their brother has a a pro wrestling podcast at this point. Um, Thankfully over at Hameen media, we we've got the vets you know, we've got guys like Ben Hameen. We've got guys like Stevie Richards. Hell, even yep. Greek God Papadon. You, yes, you know sir. what I mean? You know, so it, it gives us a, a certain element of credence. And then the rest of it, I feel like, is on the talent. You, you know what I mean? Where we have to go out and we have to produce a good show and we have to conduct a good show. And and then you get guys like Rick Vickery. You have guys like the Andrew Bello. You have guys like Billy Ray Valentine that are just top-notch broadcasters, regardless of what it is they're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It just got to be too much for me because I, at one point, I think Rick and I reviewed like shows from 23 different companies over the course of a month. Yeah. You know, and, and the problem is, you have to produce all those shows. You have to write all those shows. You have to watch all the fucking content for all those shows, you know, and it gets to be an awful lot. And then you're putting it out for free. And then you realize, you know, I'm doing all this. I'm putting out the content for free. I'm not necessarily making anything of it. Why am I making myself fucking miserable watching Monday night raw? I don't want to fucking watch Monday night raw. I don't want to fucking watch SmackDown. Jesus Christ, it's a heaping pile of fucking shit. I want to watch New Japan because New Japan fucking rocks. And so now I have a New Japan podcast. And if you want to hear about New Japan, I'm one of the only New Japan podcasts. I actually found a little niche that isn't just incredibly oversaturated. And as New Japan subscriptions go up by the tens of thousands, hopefully so do my listens. They guaranteed will. And uh, I do want to ask you a couple of personal questions because like, before we get into the finality part of this podcast I, yeah, man, ask I got you, kids to feed Jesus no, oh, of course man like I do want to ask you about your kids I don't want to ask you about your marriage and you know like we're both married men like I've been married for 15 years plus mm-hmm. kids all that bullshit so when did you realize that the woman that you are sleeping with every night is the one like when did you realize that was the person that you're going to sleep with and how is that a thing 
that you were like, hey, you're it, and that's it, and we're done. Beats the shit out of me, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it beats the shit out of me. Um, my wife and I have been together in the capacity that, that we are since 122112. If that date means anything to anybody. Yeah. I'm, we're, we're, we're kind of skeptical like that. Um, so Carly and I, when we first met, we became very, very close friends and, and we were like best friends for like, fuck, I don't know, two years before we actually started dating. And, and that certainly helps. You know, it, it certainly helps to actually like the person that y- you choose to be your partner. Oh, of um, course. But I, I think the biggest thing is I don't need her. And she does not need me. We choose to be together because we enjoy one another. And I, I, I think that absolutely goes a long way. Uh, this is my second marriage. My first marriage was a complete and utter disaster. Um, and the the thing became we got married way too young which is the absolute truth looking back on it in hindsight right um but we spent so long defining who the couple was that there were no longer two individuals there was just the couple and right. that becomes an absolutely miserable life for both people involved you know where where you have one just leeching off of the other and and vice versa right that becomes a problem. Uh, whereas Carly doesn't need me. Carly has her own life. She goes out and she does what the hell she wants, when the hell she wants, with who the hell she wants. And I do what the hell I want with who the hell I want, when the hell I want. And we inevitably choose to be together rather than feeling like we have to be together. And I think that's the biggest key is you have to find somebody that you genuinely want to be around that you actually enjoy. I understand that whole thing, man. But like, do you understand that? Like the only that you get that maybe things change and the older that I get, I feel like I'm being a more nicer person. Um, I, I like, I feel like I want to hold people. I want to hug people. I want to kiss people. Do you feel like that's happening in your life? No, no, I'm still the same fucking <laughs> asshole that I was 20 goddamn fucking years ago. You oh, know, goodness. Hey, hey, this is the way that I explain it, right? <clears throat> yeah. I try to love everybody. But I have a mathematical equation for love. Love is equal to or greater than the amount of shit you will take from another person. Yeah. You know what, nerd? I love you. I love you too, man. But I can say I love my wife more. You know how I know that? Because I'll take a lot more of her shit than I will yours. <laughs> love you, man. You so know? anyway, listen, man, like we go on two and a half hours of this fucking podcast and we can go two and a half hours more, obviously, easily. Michael Jargo, we have been fucking doing this thing for a long time, this back and forth, like, hey, can we do this thing or not? Plug your shit. This is your what? time, my friend. I, I just I find it hilarious because you were like, we just can't talk about wrestling. 
Whatever we do, we can't talk about wrestling. I fucking hate wrestling. And you were like, is there anything else that you can talk about? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can, yeah. I can come up with some shit. Um, yeah. so you can follow me across all social media platforms at not Jargo. Um, even though I, I will warn you, I am practicing social media distancing. So I, I have myself on a restriction. I can only, uh, you know, post or reply to six people a day. You know, just six social media distancing. <laughs> uh, that, so that's a real thing. You can also follow the brand at Destino Pod um, across all social media platforms, destinopod.com, because I'm all professional and shit like that. Uh, if you want to hear about the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling as well as stardom, you can also find it on hackerhameen.podbean.com. Where, of course, you can also find the Voices of Misery podcast. You can also find the Monday Locker Room, where this Monday we're going to be kicking it old school because uh, Ben Hameen and uh, the Doctor are both on vacation. I think they're going to Aruba. I really think it's a Black Ops operation, but they're just (laughs) disguising it as vacation. So uh, me and the Huckleberry, we're going to be back in the locker room this Monday. Hopefully he cleaned up uh, Colin's shit over there in the corner that was there the last time I was there on Wednesday because, man, that smelled absolutely awful. I expect even, like, you know, (laughs) lacy flowing, wafting curtains when I walk in there this Monday. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me, at NotJargo, at DestinoPod, and of course, here at hackerhameen.podbean.com, where I'm on the Brock Lesnar schedule. I don't give a shit about your kids, but chances are I will show up and raise absolute havoc on your fucking show. Well, people out there that are listening to this thing right now, man, like fucking, you know, Michael Jargo is a fucking legend. This guy has a lot of insight on a lot of different topics. Please just give him some fucking love and just subscribe to everything that he just talked about holy shit thank you michael jargo it's about time we did this thing man yeah man i i I figure you know we'll do this in i don't know about a year and i'm gonna guess that the nerdette is gonna have to wash her hair more than likely but i do love you man and uh yeah thank you for coming on the voices of misery.podbean.com and hopefully we can do this thing again adios Hey everyone, this is Stevie Richards. When I'm not doing Stevie Richards Fitness, well, actually, when I am doing Stevie Richards Fitness Resistance Band Training Programs, I like to listen to my friends on the Voices of Misery podcast. They talk about literally everything and anything, some stuff that might offend you. So if you're not easily offended, don't subscribe because they say whatever is on their minds is actually, actually subscribe, subscribe. Anyway, you might learn something and check them out anywhere. You can download and listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, check them out at voices of misery.podbean.com.